who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll see what they show up for and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. Today we are covering another SVU episode. This is season 11, episode 18, and it's called Bedtime. I am joined by, oof, just the best, my little fucking nugget, my big daddy, etc. a dear friend, a co-conspirer, Max Wyeth. How are you, honey? Darling, I am so happy to be with you and mainly so happy to be honoring legendary Anne Margaret, who was the star, really, guest star, but star of this episode. I know. So like you and I are kind of in a fight, not really, but like no. the fight, if we are in a fight, it's that I cannot fucking believe you lived your life without watching this incredible show before. Yeah. And now that I, because, you know, it start the journey started, of course, as so many did during Plague, where I decided to go back and watch, you know, for a, a hot minute in the 2000s, the, the Law & Order SVU guest ladies were winning the Emmy for best guest actress in a drama series like Hotcakes. Leslie Caron, Anne Margaret, Cynthia Nixon, sorry, name dropping here. And those <laughs> nominated Angela Lansbury, Marley Matlin, the woman married to Michael J. Fox. No disrespect to her, I can't think of her name. Emmy nominated. Oh, Martha Plimpton. So I started watching those individual episodes and now, honey, I've seen every episode and I'm hooked. I'm hooked by the theatrics, Mariska Hargitay's brilliance. The homoerotic undertones with while also self-hating gay. Under there was a lot. There's so much in this series. It gives us a lot. But it's a little bit of how like, oh, how the turntables here with us, because I think the last time you were on, I was kind of like pissed at you jokingly for not having ever watched a show and how absolutely seethingly jealous I am that you get to experience this for the first time. I, I when we hung out. God, a couple of weeks ago, we made a TikTok, you guys. Max introduced me to a fabulous concept, which I'll unpack in a minute. But I was like, what should we do for our episode? And you were like, I want to do 
season 11, season episode 18, bedtime, and you were just rattling off the guest stars. And I was like, I can't put all that in my phone. But no. I want <laughs> my calendar app. Nicole will murder me if I put something like that on our calendar. But I, but I wanted to write it all down because you have this passion. I described you to someone earlier today as someone who I think is like five years younger than me, but has the tastes of like some of my six-year-old gay male friends who are, have been in this world for a minute. Yeah, I call it Santa Fe chic. And essentially, I'm 35, soon to be living my life as a neighbor of Ali McGraw in Santa Fe. I'm wearing scarves and leggings and caftans, and I'm celebrating C to D to B list celebrities from the 1960s through 80s. And that's just how I'm a spinster. And that's how I've chosen to live my life. And this episode reflects all of that because when you say guest stars, I want you to know clearly this SVU episode must have had, I feel like they had a surplus budget and they were like, throw the kitchen sink at it. They have Morgan Fairchild, Susan Anton, Kmart's Jacqueline Smith, and Anne Margaret. It's insane. That's it's insane. right, Jacqueline Smith. Well, we'll go in. We have to honor each individual. Jacqueline Smith here. First of all, she was immortalized in a little film called Sweet Home Alabama. Who where, does she play in this? No, well, she plays the main, which we get to, not to spoil her, but she plays, remember Susan. the cop. Let's just Susan. call her Susan. Let's call her Susan. She plays Susan. Okay. And just a little backstory about Jacqueline Smith's fame. You remember the film Sweet Home Alabama. How, how could uh, you not? Yeah. Problematic but still joyful. And Why was it problematic? Well, there's, I mean, it's, first of all, it was a sign of its times. It's 2002. There's some homophobia. There's oh, some little, yeah. Confederate supporting. It's, it's, it's a okay, little Okay, so that was before my lobotomy. And so I don't really remember, yeah. you know, obviously that that's been wiped. So it's been wiped. But I, I, we- I know liking it somewhat fondly when I was younger, but thinking it was a lower of the amazing rom-coms that were coming out at the time. Yeah, and also it gave Reese Witherspoon a check. And clearly, you know, she's only run with that check. She has more checks than any of us at this point. Yeah, she was definitely struggling. Yeah, and then Legally Blonde, and she dumped the hot husband, and Sweet Home Alabama, and her her career clearly, clearly took off in a way that my life will never will. But, you know, in Sweet Home Alabama, Melanie Linsky plays her girlfriend who has a baby in a bar, and she's talking, you know, the character Reese Witherspoon is is a designer and she's talking about how she's a designer. And Melanie Linsky just goes, who's from New Zealand, by the way, goes, oh, do you know Jacqueline Smith? And of course, Jacqueline Smith had that fabulous Kmart line for years before its ultimate demise from her Charlie's Angel fame. I love that. I love when celebrities parlay TV stardom into actual cash with merchandising like Suzanne Summers with the goddamn Die Master. Well, Martha Stewart, we covered her Martha Inc. movies and Martha Behind Bars, and she Starring. called it Synergy. And who is she star? Who? Oh, first of all, those movies like, we don't Sybil. have to talk about. Movies. Starring but your Sybil. woman, your main woman, Sybil, who, the by the way, Sybil. I feel you were talking, you were going off about Courtney Thorne Smith the other night, who also deserves her credits. Now, she's never been nominated for a Golden Globe, unlike Sybil Shepard, who oh. has three, but I do support Courtney Thorne Smith and her journey. I mean, first of all, Melrose Place, she gave us so much. I can't, we can't even talk about her. We have got Susan Anton to get to. But yeah, this, this episode has so many guest stars. It's just star, star, star. And 
I, where do we begin? I guess we start at the beginning with this episode. I mean, there's so much to unpack. I know it's so unique to the gays, but we love award shows and classic celebrities. And Margaret being this Emmy-winning, giving this Emmy-winning performance. I mean, there's just so much to unpack in this episode. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. She deserves an Emmy. I assume this was her first, right? Yeah, it was. She won, I think it was her fifth or sixth nomination. And she finally won. She had never won before. So let's go through these fine women. Hopefully we'll be able to use our original intro because we do a little bit more like back talking. I don't know if it's going to, I hope, God, I hope, but if not, this is what you get. Okay. And it's still going to be fantastic. Yeah. So, if the, if the, yeah. If it's, if the original's lost to the robot, we'll try our best to make up. So listen, nacho experts, you know, of Jacqueline Smith, at least at the very minimum from the episode we did of Martha Inc. And then Martha behind bars and Martha Inc. Is really more about how she started her Macy's collab and the OG was it Mace? No, it's Kmart. Kmart, honey, that Kmart money in the nineties. If you had made, if you were affiliated with Kmart in the nineties, like Rosie O'Donnell, you're set for life. Was she, was Rosie uh, involved as well? Oh, honey, Rosie had those commercials directed by Penny Marshall, her director of A League of Their Own, right. and they made bank. They made bank off those commercials. What were what was her line there? And I'm sure, you know, Rosie, we forget Rosie had the magazine. She was all about Broadway. She had the show. You know, so she, she was cameos. just like a spokesperson. She was a spokesperson, you know, because Rosie, I feel like her energy was always, hey, I'm a big kid and here's a foosball and Kmart ate that shit up. You mean a cush ball? A cush ball. Forgive Koosh. me. I forget. I'm sorry. And fuck me for like uh, for speaking down to you because it's a coosh. <laughs> Not even I Listen. was right. Are you kidding? How embarrassing for me to correct you. But yeah, so Jacqueline Smith was brought up in the Martha Stewart movie as basically Martha being like, oh, yeah, you think some big titty soap star like is going to do better than me as if like if you trust her, I'm wait till you meet my line of sheets and and homewares. Right. So oh, totally. That's how we know Jacqueline Smith on this podcast. Will you break it down for me? How you know? Give me, give me your version of her legend. Let's talk about Jacqueline Smith. So, of course, she rose to fame in the late seventies on Charlie's Angels with Farrah Fawcett Majors, and they really basically ruled the airwaves. It was the start of what was so lovingly referred to as Jiggle TV because it was essentially no plot with tight tops. And, you know, she rode that fame into movies of the week into the 80s, the Kmart line in the 90s. And then coasted. She's got she's had some fabulous cameos in the Drew Barrymore movies, the Drew Barrymore, Lucy Lou Cameron Diaz movie. She cameos as her Charlie's Angels character in the ill-fated Elizabeth Banks remake. She also cameos. So she's made coin consistently for the last 50 to 50 years. It's so crazy and, that they felt like they needed to reboot Charlie's angels that quickly to me, especially after that, the, the second one, sure. It gave us some Demi Moore magic, but the first Charlie's angels in 2000 is pretty damn good. Lucy Lou, Cameron Diaz and Drew and Barrymore. It's like a cult classic. Great. Yeah. It's very cute. Oh, so yeah. And I love that like Drew Barrymore refused to use guns. None of the angels used guns, which I love. I mean, it just, there was so much. So, you know, clearly I think it's Sony who owns those rights needed a check. They had some tax issues. So they decided to reboot and it bombed. But, you know, again, Jacqueline Smith is making the coin off of it. So that we support. 
So then we go into our next icon in this, who we've had Morgan Fairchild explained to us before by the likes of Ronnie Karam, which, you know, hard to top. But Max, give me your take on Morgan Fairchild. Well, I, like many children of the 90s, was probably introduced to Morgan Fairchild when she played Chandler Bing's mother on Friends, the romance novelist uh, who tries to have sex with David Schwimmer and her first appearance. And, you know, then she was icy blonde in a fabulous Chanel suit. And then you start digging into her backstory. And she was one of those celebrities, kind of like a a Zaza Gabor, who she kept doing like one seasons of shows that never really took off. But she's been kind of a mainstay in soap operas and great trashy TV. She she definitely had it. Let me check really here. So she was definitely a soap girl. Mostly. I would think she did Dynasty or something, though. No, I think she was on a terrible one. I want to call it Flamingo Road or something. She was on a one season with Mark Hammond, who was later, of course, found fame in NCIS uh, for any straight men who are listening. And she was on that and she was nominated. This is sick. This is sick that I know. She played Dottie in Pee Wee's Adventure, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yes, but honey, I need to tell you my sickness. I know for a fact that her one Emmy nomination came from playing a villainous role on Candace Bergen's Murphy Brown. And I can't pay my tax bill this year, but I know that fact. And that is disgusting. No, I think that's important. I will say that one thing that's so interesting about Morgan Fairchild is that she was born with being so fucking gorgeous that she could only be a bitch. Do you know what I mean? She has that. Yeah. And like, by the way, how many like pretty nice girls have you met in your life? A ton. Like there's actually so many beautiful, nice girls, but she has this thing to her where she was just like kind of born to play a bitch. And that said, you just know she's not because this bitch has, there's no beauty that can, that can make a resume like this happen. No. And again, she has consistently worked since the seventies. So we've got to give it to Morgan Fairchild. She's been doing it, giving it her Instagram is fun. If you ever need to just dive into it. I love my favorite Instagram is the, is the former TV soap stars of the 1980s, their account, Joan Collins, Donna Mills, Michelle Lee, just wonderful, giving us true and pure art on the Instagram and sometimes the reels. Yeah. She's been working since 1970, baby. Much like, much like the uh, bedroom killer. (laughs) <laughs> or what, the bedroom the, butcher whatever his name is our, our whatever he refers whatever they refer to be called as we don't want to spoil i uh, yeah okay yeah. and then also in this episode we have Anne margaret now and first of all can we give susan anton just a moment of props just a moment oh yeah i would always i would always want to do that we have to give susan anton a prop because she was kind of the what's Kind of the Julia Fox, if you will, of the 70s and 80s, where she would get acting roles and then it it never really took off to huge fame. But she parlayed, you know, a decent acting talent into pretty international fame and has, again, consistently worked since then. So I have major props for Susan Anton. Her hair in this episode alone, the layers. Well, she did four years of as Jackie on Baywatch, which makes her a multi bajalti millionaire. You know, that that syndication money from that show 
was a blessing to so many, mainly David Hasselhoff. But I hope Susan Anton got a, a couple, a couple of you know checks from that. I think about it all the time. Like the checks from SVU must save so many people's bacon every year because it every is every year. It's just it's constantly in reruns. And I feel so happy when I check someone's wiki and they're like, they've done two movies. Now, Anne Margaret is <sighs> The like, you know, we obviously know the star of this episode. She was the one who nabbed the Emmy, which I'll be honest with you. If I had to just guess, I would say that this is a woman who was so fucking it was like a little bit like Sandra Bullock winning for whatever movie she won for with Gravity, probably, which sucked. Blind side, the bland, the blind side, the bland side, side, right? The, The absolute bland side. Exactly. And I would say like gravity is the worst movie of all time because watching someone fight to get back to earth after being in space is like literally the most depressing thing I've ever seen. It's like, well, now you're back. Congratulations. And here's the insurrection. So can you imagine like being in space and coming back to see like these fucking human ants just like fighting over it's insane so then Anne margaret i feel almost was retrospectively if i had to guess retrospectively sort of do this emmy where almost it feels like i loved the white lotus i love jennifer coolidge in the white lotus i was a little bit like i don't know if this was even close to her best role and no it's a makeup and you know i think those honestly i don't think awards every year should be given out for performances because art is subjective and there's really no way to judge that as much as it should be every year pass out 10 emmys or 10 oscars and say look you have been entertaining us for 25 years here's an award you know what i mean because yeah they no one ever wins for their, for their you know their iconic rarely performance and you look at Anne Margaret who was a movie star of most of the 60s and 70s and then you know in a a Vegas showgirl and the Elvis connection and the TV movie queen of the 80s and 90s and she has been in it i think her first film was in 1961 pocket full of miracles and i yeah. mean look at her she's still kicking it And I think that she had been nominated four to five times before. And I think they just thought, because she is very over the top in the best yet worst possible way in this episode. And I think they just thought, Anne Margaret is Emmy-less. And we already learned that when we don't give them an Emmy, they end up like Angela Lansbury, who was nominated 18 times and never won. Right. Which is, is, talk about gravity. Like, how could you live on a planet where Emma, where Emma, where Angela Lansbury doesn't have an Emmy and God knows how many other people have. Oh, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because allegedly, and this hurts me more than anyone. No. So if you're oh, a big Angela Lansbury fan, block your ears. Max, apparently, she's a fucking cunt. I, I refuse to believe that. I not the, know. No. Not no. the teapot. Not Miss Teapot. Not Miss fucking. No. Absolutely not. She was my girl, Jessica Fletcher. My, by the way, wild that an old woman like that was supposed to be named Jessica. For 12 years, though, for her to be queen of CBS and be on a top-rated show, which, and also, fun fact, she was also nominated for an Emmy for a crossover episode of Law & Order SVU slash the ill-fated one-season Law & Order trial by jury starring B.B. Newworth. So she's also in the canon of the SVU universe because she's Emmy-nominated and lost, unlike Anne-Margaret, who won. 
I mean, listen, you're preaching in the choir. I was just as devastated as you. And it feels like almost like the Bill Cosby secret where it's like, I don't want to have to. I feel worse holding this burden. I knew about Bill Cosby being a fucking creep. What was I going to do? Me too, Bill Cosby with my my bare bones information. No, there was no way there. Me too didn't even exist. Right. I just think that like these things, these are the worst secrets to hold on to. And I promise I'm not holding many more except for like, oh, so-and-so might be a cunt or whatever. Right. But yeah. Wait, can I ask you a question just to, and I, this is heartbreaking to hear about Angela Lansbury, but do we think this is the same and this is off topic, but just quickly that, you know, Glenn Close has been nominated eight times for an Oscar and not one. Do we think that's the same issue with her? People just don't like her. I'm not sure. I don't know that I've never heard a direct accusation that Glenn Coast Close is difficult. It might also be different when you're working with TV and the Television Academy, which is built yeah. up from because like with the Television Academy, there's people from all areas of the industry that vote on that. Like you could be a great director, right? And be in the Television Academy. You could be like Craft the best. It the best ad right like you could yeah. have all these different types of connections and if you know that this bitch like was torturing people on sets like you're not gonna you have, for her may i ask you do you feel your sources who reveal this information are pretty solid that it's probably a a, a true fact with angela lansbury without giving too much away i am certain that that's probably true oh god how could this pots the teapot but okay Sometimes and also but like jessica i named my first blog the well the blog that people know me from mall she wrote because i i have the only show i own in well, i own two i only own two shows in full on dvd and that is murder she wrote and picket fences which i had to order from uh. germany and then I had to get a children's like car you know how people get dvd players for their kids because they're bad in the car now <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, we also, got a I slap that, on the knee. I love that you love picket fences. I've always had a soft spot for Kathy Baker. I love Kathy Baker. No, I I love picket fences. It's like so fucked. It's oh, such it's, a and fucked for, show. And it, was, and it was a primetime show. It was so fascinating. That show was on, I think, on CBS for four years in the mid-90s. Because it is a trip. One of my favorite episodes, it's just like, because I had to get it because I was like, I was itching. Like, I literally spent like $250 to watch Picket Fences. Like, that's how it went down. Like, someone and I were talking about Picket Fences and I was like, I need it. And then I was like, but I have to order uh, an international DVD player. And like, money I, well spent, honey, money well spent. I can it, think of oh, a lot yeah. of other ways. Money perfectly well spent. But anyway, not to, I'm sorry, not to digress. There Back was like an the episode SB. where like a kid found a penis in a bush, though. And like that it was very David Lynch for TV. And mm -hmm. I mean, David Lynch did TV and it was I felt like it was more David Lynch. than. Twitch I think it was him, it. honey. I think he was the creator. No, I because the only show he's done for TV is Twin Peaks. No, he's the guy. I think I think I think he did because that's why Twin Peaks isn't. So hold on. Let me look up. Hold on. Let me not lose this IMDb. But I think David Lynch did picket fences. Oh, maybe he did. I mean, because, or maybe some produce. I mean, it's very similar tones. Yeah, no, it's very, it's a very great show. Okay, wait. So, Anne Margaret's in this episode. Are there any more icons you would care to discuss before we? Well, I can't think of his name, but you do. I mean, I think the viewers at home would remember. You know, in the opening, in the opening fake out of who we think this episode is going to be about, the guy who they take down is. I, we'll have to look up his name, but he's the villain. 
the guy from both Die Hard and Ghostbusters. So he's an 80s mainstay and I can't think, but he has a very punchable face. And, you know, he's the reporter in Die Hard who's always annoying the Bruce Willis and company. Sure. And then in Ghostbusters, he's the annoying government worker. So we, I think we should just give him, I can't think of his name. I, I can't, I couldn't be more stupid. He is, the creator of Picket Fences was David E. Kelly. Oh, I couldn't be. How do we not know Michelle Pfeiffer's husband, David E. Kelly, of course, created that before Allie McBeal. He's married then, to Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah, so you know his dick game's got to be good. It's got to be Pfeiffer, good. It has to be good because you don't keep, they've been married since the 90s. You don't keep Michelle Pfeiffer for 35 plus years without having a good dick game. I'm sorry, you But don't. you'd be surprised at how many like gorgeous, brilliant women will settle for mediocre dick game if he's like, because if he's willing to engage Michelle Pfeiffer on an intellectual level. Oh, that's probably better than any dick you could have. No, Exactly. I and I think and, anyone would offer Michelle Pfeiffer a dick. You know what I mean? Oh, anybody. I mean, they'd offer a vagina. I think most people would have sex with Michelle Pfeiffer if asked. Or anything in between, like a Harvey Weinstein situation. So can we can we just wait we real quick? And just because we it, it might not be in the other ending. The other reason I love David E. Kelly is not only did he give Lara Flynn Boyle a job and some cash for the practice, but he gave Courtney Thorne Smith a job and some cash for Allie McBeal. And for that, I will always appreciate. You're so David fucking Kelly. horny for Courtney. Th like we have to figure this out for you, honey. I'm spoken. I'm speaking. Listen, I'm I'm a spoken word influencer, unpaid, and I am determined to get Courtney Thorne Smith back into the conversation, no matter what I have to do to do it. You're right. So Max is he pitched me this idea, and we made a TikTok about it. I'll link it in the comments. But Max is a spoken word influencer, and. Mm -hmm. He likes to just basically that means he uses his beautiful, booming, you know, sultry voice to just mention things a little bit louder in public than most people would. And it's a little bit like a subliminal message. Yeah, I, I like to call it I'm the start of the marketing funnel where basically if I just go quite loudly, you know what? I had a great ride on Frontier Airline. And before you know it, I've inspired you to look at Frontier Airline. Right. And you booked a ticket to Bora Bora and you're having a fabulous time. And I mean, 10% of that advertising money should go to my ass because I put the idea in your head in the first place. Here's the problem with being a spoken word influencer, because I've been one for many years. There's no way to monetize it, honey. There's oh, honey, no, no way. But you know what? But I do think I'm doing the Lord's work by mentioning Courtney Thorne Smith or Lara Flynn Boyle. I mean, if if they get a little few, if someone just thinks where have they been and looks them up and then maybe they get a TV role I mean, that could be all for me. And that's enough for me to keep me, you know, to put me to sleep at night. And that's I can incredibly sleep well. charitable of you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you me. for thinking that way. Because so few people do. So, and I yeah. shouldn't have ever doubted that that's exactly the place you're coming from. So we open up yes. in this episode, not coincidentally, on a guy trying to usher his mistress out of his apartment. And I love that he's, I love the interplay between them with, you know, when the gal on the fire. Oh, I'm going to play that, it. Oh, you're going to play it. Okay, never mind. They, they'll, they'll do it more justice. But really quickly, like, let's just be, let's just like settle, settle what's going on here is that his wife is coming home while he's having an affair. And this middle of poor, the day. And this poor girl is like, wait, no, now's the perfect time. Because like, of course, all mistresses get lost in the sauce. Yep. And. Like these men are a boiling hot sauce that are going to make them suffer. So let's just play this first few minutes. I have 
God, we could kill 15 minutes of my line note here. Here we go. I can't wait to see you two. Okay, bye. My wife is two minutes away. You said she was at work. Bitch like her, she probably got fired. You gotta get out of here. What? Wait, are you, wait, are you serious? The fire is Angie, you gotta go now. It's snowing. Hey, have fun. I'll call you. Wait, wait, wait. Why do I have to leave? This is the perfect chance to come clean about us. Angie, not now. Just go. My wife will be here any second. She's dead. Calm down. Murder's not the answer. No. I mean her. This episode is sponsored by Factor. Okay, here's what I love about Factor meals. They make eating better easy. They're fresh, never frozen. They take two minutes in the microwave. You get to pick what meals you're going to eat. Over 35 different recipes are available to you to choose from. Their delicious recipes are chef-crafted and nutritionist-approved. They are very filling. Like, not too much, but they're perfectly filling. I had the keto meal last week. I've been doing the keto meals, basically. And there was one day in particular that I just remember going to bed and being like, I'm actually full. Like I ate hours ago and I'm actually full. Normally I need a little snack snack. You know, I get up to the chocolate after dark, but I was totally full, completely satisfied. And my meal was delicious. You can also do calorie smart meals, vegan or veggie and protein plus. There's also other stuff you can try as well. You can get as much or as little as you want and reschedule or pause at any time. Personally, I get six meals. You can go up to 18. That's what my boyfriend does. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash mothermayi50 and use code mothermayi50 to get 50% off. That's code mothermayi5050 at factormeals.com slash mothermayi50 to get 50% off. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Okay. Wait, so there's so much, even in just the opening. First of all, murder is not the answer unless you plan on murdering someone at sea and throwing their body off into the ocean because that's the truly probably the only way you will not be discovered at this point is if they're thrown into the ocean mid-sea. I know. Catch me trying to like prop up someone and say murder's not the answer. Like as if like in a minute, this is where this episode brought out a little bit of my secret psycho where I was like, ooh, actually, you know what? If I was younger, the way that I was just imbalanced when I was younger and like running off of pure adrenaline like a fucking animal, which like we're going to find out these young women who all possibly are suspects in this thing are actresses aspiring actresses and so i was like yeah that's like a really transitional and tough place to be in your life like you're probably working a job you fucking hate like just trying to like get involved whenever you can and whenever you are you're probably so starstruck by the environment that it makes this happen to you and i think that's how a lot of mistresses feel even when it's not you know there's not star quality like you know he's this guy seems to own his apartment He's home for some reason during the middle of the day. His fit. wife. He's slightly fit. Oh, he's totally fit. Yep. Mm. 
Sorry, I just need a little sip of my Coca-Cola. I love the sugar. Oh, oh look at you, spoken word influencer. I am. Oh. I am Coca-Cola classic, honey. So, <laughs> like, basically, my, my thing here is, like, the line, she's dead, feels like it could have used finessing. Because there could have been another thing she said that was a double meaning. Where it's, like, he could think, like, you know to say murder isn't the answer and she's discovering what is a woman in the apartment beneath them after he makes her go out the fire exit that's attached to the house right the uh fire escape yes he makes her go out of that and she's climbing down it and sees into the bedroom downstairs where a woman has her throat has been slit her arms are bound by Right now, we don't know what. And she has a big X carved into her face. And so, first of all, if you're murdering this woman, close the fucking curtains. <laughs> and those drapes, I feel they, they were heavy drapes. They could have hit. But yes, close the drapes, always in the murder. And they refused to. Let the body fester long enough that maybe like some DNA comes off. You know what I mean? But then- Literally. That's what I mean. That's what I would do if I was a serial killer. But then I just feel like this exchange could have been so good. And it is a really good like concept for a cold open. But the line she's dead is really hard to play in a way that sounds both like not like horrifying. Like uh, like 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 you've just seen a dead body, right? It's hard to say it, but also in a way that would make that man up in the window, the guy she's having an affair with, give what she's saying like any real credence where he's like, murder's not the answer. It's like too jokey or something, or it's a mm -hmm. little bit like, it just lacked a finesse. I'm wondering what she's dead could have been. That's not. I also don't you think it's delivery. I mean, I always I love a, a 30 second appearance on Law and Order SVU because, look, we support all people in all walks of life. But clearly the actors and actresses cast in these like two to three line parts are usually semi green. And there, no. there wasn't a lot of fun. There. No, I'm going to push back on that, because when you notice that your actor is not able to like i don't know how the writer imagined it being read in his mind but it seemed either too big for him to give that response or it was like like in order like the actual thing you would say if you saw a dead body is not she's dead right and i want to blame her but i almost feel like that the line is the problem because at a certain point when something's not working on set you take it back to the room and you say what can we what question okay what would you say okay so you you look you're on a fire skip you see it do you think you'd use a curse word what do you think you would say you know if you had discovered a body i would say like holy fucking shit there's a dead body yeah or like mm -hmm. oh my god or something like that. But like, I know that that doesn't give away to the conceit that he thinks that she's talking about killing his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense completely. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's oh, not, very much so. it shouldn't be she's dead because she's seeing a dead body. She should be like, there's blood everywhere or something. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, or like, yeah, her, that statement does not, the response. 
response that he says does not make sense with what how she said and what she said. So she had to play it that way so that his joke would make sense, which makes her performance look worse because the writing isn't exactly right. Do you know what I mean? No, that that actually makes a lot of sense. That said, there are some there are some tricks employed in this writing that are really fantastic. So I don't want to like hinge it too much on that. So Benson, Stabler, Warner, they're all at the apartment and they have basically discovered, okay, it's Jane Whitmore. She's age 30, died between 9 and 11 p.m. No sign of forced entry. He raped her and then he killed her. He marked her with the X on her cheek after she was dead because there was like not a lot of blood, I guess, which is kind of crazy to think like when you because it's your your arteries aren't working. Yeah. So you're not pumping out blood. So. There's no DNA at the scene. They figure she's a journalist based on some invoices that were left on her desk. She had one from Under Scrutiny magazine, which we'll talk about Under Scrutiny. So Olivia notes that there was a lot of like cables in the house that are disconnected, no laptops. So it seems like whoever it was who did this was like very quick to clear out the electronics. Her arms are wrapped with a phone cord as well. So like it looks like almost rope or a mixture of rope and duct tape or something when you first see it. But now when you really look at it, you can see the little plastic thing that plugs into the wall. It's a landline Mm -hmm. phone. It's a landline, honey. It was a different time back in 2010, 11. So Benson and Stabler go to under scrutiny and they talk to her editor who was just devastated by this news because Jane was one of her best freelancers. She would take any assignment. The more dangerous, Honey, she did heroin. She did heroin for the job. Exactly. Like she would want to go. She liked to be undercover. So she would go and expose like sex traffickers at a sex club. And then she dated a heroin smuggler who were trying to target young kids. I want to. And yes. And she almost she shot up for the story and almost got addicted. So I want to point out that how like it makes no sense that that SVU wouldn't already know about someone that was publishing story like exposing sex traffickers. She knows yes, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes we have to leave continuity at the SVU at the door and just go with the ride. Mm-hmm. So and that's fine. She like apparently had pitched her editor this story about Morris Ostabaugh, who's basically like a Bernie Madoff type character. And he stole like millions of dollars from people in the city and even took 10K from this like small magazine editor. He only did eight months in club fed. So when Jane pitched a story about him being up to the same old shit, she told her to go ahead. But she hasn't spoken to her in a month. They lost contact and she assumed that she was just really into her story their last communication was about going to meet up with Ostabau. so that was like a while back then we find out that this guy mr Ostabau, is running a then this felt predatory to me more than anything else in this episode oh god yeah a funeral home for pets for people for it's basically a place in yonkers called Eternal Peace Mortuary that is for people who are wealthy enough to be like a little demented about their pets or lonely enough to be a little demented about their pets. Like, I felt very, I felt targeted by this. Basically, he says that he's running this place where, you know, he gives a dignified end-of-life service to people's pets and he's even willing to do a cremation if they need it. 
It yeah, that this episode a full of an episode that's so full of unsettling moments like this. This is one of the top five, probably. It is that whole army it's too much it is way too much but the guy the actor plays it quite well i have to ask like okay i know that i have some friends who would really go to the end of the earth for me but i don't know if they would go to yonkers to go to my strange pet memorial i think if you paid for the car they would right okay okay that's a good point you send them a car they'll come i don't think they would pay out of their own pocket but i think if and hey if you if you can afford to do a burial service with a gold coffin for your dog then you can afford some town cars to pick up your friends to come mourn and ellie it's like what do you do you take people's dead dogs dump them in the hudson and give them some fake ash and he's like listen i know my credibility is bad okay no one likes me but i run an ethical <laughs> licensed company and benson's part. like well jane whitmore didn't think so and austin like she was a bitch she lied, she took advantage of me, she threw herself at me, and when she realized that I was on the up and up, she dumped me. So wait, on the up and up means like your business is doing well, right? Yeah, that's how I take it. Which is weird because there's not a lot of women who get in on the bottom line with someone and like watch their career grow and then say like, I'm out. Like your pet business is too successful for me, I'm out. Oh, I'm stepping out. Yeah. So she called him one more time after the breakup. She wanted the address for the sober living he went to after he finished his time. And he says, Oh, this and, and God, now was this not, first of all, that this segment is again another depressing moment in a very depressing episode. Yeah, it is. Why did, why did you, well, before we, we're not at the Harmony home yet. Oh, I wanted to jump ahead to listen. I'm emotional cutting throughout this episode and I wanted to jump ahead to that. Forgive me. We will. Basically, we find out that Harmony Home was a place that, like, basically, he says that people, men went there to basically do crack in peace, and <laughs> women would go there to turn tricks. And Benson's like, so she smelled a story, and Stabler's like, and she checked it out. She checked in to check it out. So they go to the halfway house, and Stabler tells the guy running it, he's like, you know, your reputation's not so great. And the guy's like, no, I do the best I can. I get people from anywhere I can. The Corps, the Salvation Army, people I've scraped out the street. I did a little bit of like just uh, anecdotal evidence seeking today on Twitter. And I, I'm wondering if, because this is what it seems like, right? I'm wondering if a lot of halfway houses run like a bad foster parent. I mean, and you know, that is so interesting because you know, you're not, you're in charge of people, but they're also adults. And, you know, you're not, I feel like you're, and I don't know what each, I'm sure each state is different, but you know, you're probably asked to do X, Y, and Z, but you're also not their parent. You know, I mean, if, if they're following the rules, quote unquote, I mean, there's probably not much more you can do than that. You know, it's like a middle of the road probation, right? Like there's a probation officer, mm. but I think if you run a halfway house, part of your job is to like chase out junkies. Like if something wrong is going on, like you're, you're, I, the only reason why I feel like they might get kickbacks the way like a foster parent would, which is when he says he scrapes them off the street, like, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like that's the best place to find someone who's eligible for a halfway house. Oh, you know oh. what I mean? It sounds like he's choosing like drug, drug 
charged people who are not in a space to move on from their addiction or bringing in people who are in the middle of addiction into this house where people are re- like basically finishing their rehab from prison. Yeah, I mean, just the, the whole system of that. I mean, and that's what I think SVU honestly does such a good job is shows you both how the system is broken, but how else do you fix the system? You know what I mean? I think they do. Yeah. For, I mean, I know it's problematic in a lot of ways too with its portrayal of, you know, different ethnicities and different people of sexuality and also people with different, you know, just in terms of, you know, police and whatnot. But it really does do a good job, I think, of showing all the, the many sides of the issue, you know, in a broad. Yeah. It's a, a little broad. up, down and all over. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't blame every halfway house. That said, I did go back to a halfway house unknowingly with one of the chefs when I was a caterer at college. One of the chefs who, which now that I think about it, it was a Catholic university. So like, of course we had convicts like working in our kitchen because like, you know, we forgive allegedly. So (laughs) especially at a Jesuit university, Jesuits, I always mean to be kind to them because I think Jesuits are good people generally. But yeah, like I went, I didn't realize till years later, I was at a fucking halfway house. Like this guy made me. I love that that was such a, honey, I love that that was such a, you know, as you, you know, don't you know, like when you grow older and you realize what you were like, just, you don't really realize it at the time. And then you go, wait, I think I was part of, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. And especially I think it was deceiving because it was in like historical Massachusetts, like suburbs, like Chestnut Hill. So you're sitting there and you're like, well, this is just another big, beautiful house. It seems like this guy has some weird roommates. I don't know why six of us college kids are in his room smoking weed, but if he has it, smoke it. Yeah, completely. I was I was always nice to the chefs. Okay. So Stabler's like, well, she wouldn't have stuck around for 10 minutes if there wasn't a story here. So they go into the kitchen because this guy claims that Jane would do one thing, which was like bring back a shit ton of groceries, but she would never eat. Okay. Yeah. This is her assigned cover. We're going to meet like it's going to be a very much orange is the new black who type of moment. Like, I feel like Junji Cohen was up one night watching this and she saw our girl and was like, what's her backstory? And it's pencil plucky. Okay, here's 530 to 7.06. Wait, shout out to Tyra Manning, wherever she may be. Taryn. Oh, Taryn Manning. I'm sorry, Taryn. Forgive me. I know you're upset with me, but she gave it, listen, she gives so much on that show. She throws her pussy into everything she does. Everything. Crossroads, Hustle and Flow, Orange, Karen, that terrible Lifetime movie, Karen. She gave it her all. She throws it in. So, okay, here's the clip. 533-2706. Organic soup. Wow. Imported pasta. This woman shops better than I do. Hey, get away from there. That don't belong to you. Wait. We'll be the judge of that. Like, I never seen a fake badge. That one ain't even convincing. Now get the hell away from our food. Our food? Yes, mine and Jean's. Well, hers mainly, but she shares with me. Not that I'm a big eater. I watched my figure. We didn't catch your name. What is it? What? I gotta write it down for you. It's Francine. Okay, well, Francine, all that food in there now belongs to you. She flew the coop? Permanently. Oh, God. 
I knew she was going to get herself in trouble here. Well, now, why do you say that? Didn't people like her? No, they didn't trust her. She said she'd been down the whole bunch like the rest of us, but I could tell she was green. She didn't fit in here. So Jane gave you food and you took her under your wing? Yeah, I mean, as much as I could. A place like this, you got to know the rules. Right. Who to talk to and how to protect your valuables. Now, when Janie was here, who'd she talk to? No one. I made sure of it. Oh, except for the grabby jerk down at welfare. She says she wanted to talk to him alone. This grabby jerk, was he a caseworker? Yeah, he handles most every woman here. You want your benefits, you gotta let him stick his tongue down your throat. <laughs> Last time I saw Janie, she was headed off to see him. Okay, I have a question. It's a real chicken or the egg type of question. What do you think happens first with like, because I know like I this is not a unique attitude with meth addicts to be like skinny. Like, do you think that it started with an eating disorder or it started with meth and now she's like, I'm skinny. Like, I think it's always eating disorder first, right? See, I think it's case by case. Okay. Okay. I mean, you do have to, like, find a way at a certain point to justify what the fuck else you've done to your body. Oh, completely. But, I mean, I, it is a smidge case by case. They did very much a good job of... But it's definitely... It, it's like Orange is the New Black-esque makeup where you could always tell that Taryn Manning's, like, sort of rough facade was a little bit behind like some prosthetics you know what i mean where it was but like just a because I, with all respect to her she really does have the perfect face for meth i think that... he put thing that's what i'm saying it looks like she has some like 3d elements to her makeup where they might have put a little sore on her or and they definitely like i mean her hair hasn't been i know that hair that's depression hair i haven't that's mm. like what my hair looks like when i haven't washed it in like six days yeah, she, I just, that, yeah. She's going mm. through a hard time. Yeah, so, she, she's had it rough. They bring all this information back to the station. The details on this welfare worker is Ned Bogdan. He's 54, single, and lives in Queens with his mother. And Benson goes, that's suspicious right there. Mm. Which feels a little old school. Yeah, but that's, but I feel SVU does that fine line with, being progressive and then they revert real quick to old tropes especially you know I mean? in during this oh my god especially during this time i can't get over it max like i'm gonna you guys i'm sorry fucking break my neck if you want okay but there was a stat i heard in my first episode doing this with this girl elena from a show called televisionary she's a it's a podcast and she looked at the stats on svu the average viewer of svu is a 61 year old man which really? is shocking to me, right? Because, like, I mostly talk about it with people in their 20s. I don't meet a lot of older people who religiously watch this show. Or men. That said, I think that this is, like, I think that this show really is trying to do their best to reach out to people who have zero education on any of this. And so sometimes those missteps are intentional to, like, play mm. the devil's advocate. No, that actually, that's a good point. No, I, I would support that theory. So Ellie points out that this guy has never gotten a complaint in the 30 years he's been a social worker, which is pretty crazy. And they're like, he must have been sh shredding papers or he's just greasing the wheels. And we find out from Cragen 
that this guy is highly decorated for his work and even won employee of the year six times. Cragen's like, we're not going to be able to take this guy down with the word of a recovering meth addict who didn't even know she was talking to the police like after they <laughs> tendered. <laughs> so Elliot calls him a hump like Morris. He's like, what a hump. He's like, what he did to Jane was literally like, you know, crazy. He's not your garden variety rapist. And Cragen's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. I'm just not going to take a swing and a miss on this one. So Olivia is like, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. So Welfare Benefits Bureau, we cut to there. Olivia is meeting with him, this like crooked welfare director, Morris. And well, oh, sorry, Ned, Ned, not Morris. Is it Ned Morris? Well, his name I don't remember, but can we just say one thing? And this ties it back to Angela Lansbury, who may or may not be as awful as the, the public says. I love on SVU when Mariska Hargitay has to play a performance. You know, she plays a prostitute or, you know, when she gets into character. So and nice. Angela Lansbury, remember on Murder, She Wrote, would constantly play a character. You know, she she put on a southern accent and infiltrate a zoo. Yes. You know, I mean, and I love on shows when actors have to do that, where they have to. Because that's when the true performance art comes out. And Mariska Hargitay always delivers whenever she has to play, you know, an espionage. I think she's had to play espionage. She's had to play so many different parts. And I love how into character she gets. And I wonder if it's like, for me, I wonder if it's a curse of being a series regular. But I can never take her too seriously when she's doing this. Like I think it's because we know her so well. But in the moment, she seems very authentic. Although I, I was looking on IMDb about the goofs in this episode. And I had to go back and rewatch. Apparently, she's all messy. But her nails, I think her nails are perfectly Probably, manicured yeah. in this scene. And I think that right there would be, a, if you're a, you know, a meth head scrounging on the street for a couple of a hit, your nails probably aren't up to snuff. Oh, no. If Malls was that, I my nails would be clean. Like, everything else about me can be a mess, but I do like a clean nail. And that's one thing that I, I got to go get my nails done, like, ASAP. I'm probably going to do that tomorrow. So, Olivia's there in jeans, converse, and a very sloppy hoodie. She looks exhausted, completely. Showing shoulder. Showing, showing a little bit shoulder. shoulder. She's got her titty hanging out of her hoodie. Yeah. So... She's, you know, spinning a yarn about how she got kicked out by her junkie boyfriend. And then she's like, he shoots up all day. And then she goes, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say that, which is so real. And to me, gave credence to her whole act because I was like, that's how people like you or I, I think wouldn't be how how we would deal with the cops if someone we supposedly loved was doing something illegal. Right. You'd be like, mm. I don't know if I can like you'd wonder out loud. Even I know I would. I'd wonder out loud if I'm allowed to even admit certain things because I don't want to put myself or others in trouble by you know what I mean? Oh, no, completely. She doesn't know her limitations a loss. So she's like, I just need a place to leave. I have no money, no food. And so this guy's like, just fill out the papers, girl. Like, I got you. Like, he's being very <laughs> like. You know, she's like, I don't know my address. And like, it's a little bit like, okay, Olivia, like, just pretend to fill it out and then have a problem. But she's acting like she literally cannot even think of her first and last name, which I thought was a little overactive. She was laying it out there, though, that she was strung out and ready for a little. She would she'd be willing to tickle. She says she doesn't do drugs. She's very clear that her character doesn't do drugs. And that's why she really is needs the welfare office, because. Yeah. 
She's not but an she's actual willing, drug user. Well, no, but she lays it all out that she is desperate, and I feel like she's just she's really leading leading the leading the perp, if you will. So of course he comes over, and it's basically like the paperwork version of like teaching someone how to play pool. Do you know what I mean? Where it's very yeah. like he's like, okay, now here you go, and all of a sudden he starts to grab her titty. And this is when they she throws him down on the desk and she's like, I work for SVU, bitch. So they bring Bogdan in and he's sitting at it. It's oh, Ned Bogdan. That's his name. So he's saying, you know, his job is to welcome addicts into his office with open arms. And Elliot's like and open legs. And he is like, listen, <laughs> it was all consensual. They were needy. I was like a savior. It's natural that many of them came on to me. And yes, I had offers, but I turned all of them down. He only grabbed Olivia's breast because she moved the wrong way. So like this is exactly these are the types of complaints that were submitted, probably. And were we, evaporated. Wait, honey. Also, did we bring up that the whole reason he's also wait question? Did at this point, do we know? Yeah, because she has the thing. To, we know that they, that this is a part of a serial killer that has been dormant from the 70s. I'm sorry not to jump ahead. If we had we already hit that part like does svu know at this point that bit not yet oh i'm sorry sorry audience it's Got okay don't out. worry I apologize. there will be things i drop i promise we'll get to that because craigan's watching through the two-way mirror and it's okay gonna hit there him we now. sorry so, honey it's okay so they start to spell out the scenario about what they think happened like jane came in and she got handsy or he got handsy and then felt her wire and Jane was going to tell the whole world what an asshole and a sleazebag he was. And no, you know, woman was going to play Ned Bogdan for a fool. Well, they are right there, right? So there's a moment where Cragen is watching this B.D. Wong behind the two-way mirror. And he asks him, does this story sound familiar? And B.D. Wong's like, I'm just calling B.D. Wong because that's who he is to me. I know his character as a name, but I don't care. And I know and that's and that's what you, you can expect on this show is me <laughs> overwriting <laughs> my allegiance to B.D. Wong to the, that point. Finn is not in this episode, nor is Munch, by the way. Was Munch still on? No, they're both still on. And I think that I mean, as we know, because this is just the, the beginning of it, they Olivia and this is a really a Benson and Elliot journey. And there just yeah. wasn't room for those two this trip. They must have been off solving a not cold case. I was surprised yeah, at how quickly a 30-year-old cold case made it to the top of their... Because once we figure out what Ned's deal is, we move into this other cold case. And I'm like, guys, aren't there more active? But that's what Munch and Finn are doing. So he's like, you know what? This He's like, this is the first guy in 30 years to carve an x into a woman's cheek so he goes to get his notes and olivia's in there now they're say telling me is a small penis which is a great way to get your ass kicked <laughs> right like she like you can only really i do not advise telling a man that he has no dick until you have a gun strapped to you because i thought it was so interesting during the depth versus herd trial i thought it was so like telling of like amber heard's motivations and true character that she never admitted like she never admitted that johnny depp or even suggested that johnny depp had erectile dysfunction which is actually oh, no. a huge motivator while he on the other hand tried to submit her nudes into evidence 
God, that see, I really blocked so much of that trial out because it just it was I that part I didn't even know. We That's support insane. Amber Heard. But yeah, Johnny oh, 100%. Depp. Johnny Depp has like erectile dysfunction, which is like a huge motivator for men who are insecure, like in that area. Or, you know, even if they have a reason to feel insecure, which, you know, if you have the right partner, you probably shouldn't. But he uh, Johnny Depp had like brutal erectile dysfunction. Oh, what? See, that I was not familiar with. I know. And she's I'm like and she's dealing with all that. Like Andy's abusing her. Like, absolutely not. I would probably fucking hit the guy, too. So. Craigan has a ton of images pulled up on the screen in the main room. And she's like, he's like, I know who you are, you son of a bitch. It's the bedtime butcher. He's downloading Stabler Benson and BD Wong about it. He attacked five different women in the late 70s. They were attacked in bed, always between nine and 12 and always carved up. It was a Bronx case. His buddy, Albert Caymans, worked a day and night but could never nail him. Caymans is dead, unfortunately. He died of a heart attack at his desk. And B.D. Wong goes, the stress was too much for him. And this line made me laugh out loud. Craig goes, no, bad genes. His dad died young, too. But he put together a lot of evidence. And I loved it because it was very, it was giving Azalea Banks, like, with the sort of, like, homeopathic diagnosis of what was wrong with him. Like, bad genes. (laughs) But yeah, so Olivia goes over the case. His first attack was in 1973. And then that would be his last. His last until Jane Whitmore was in 1976. So B.D. Wong posts, uh, points out that there's a possibility for serial killers to give it up if they find another like channel for their rage. And Craigan notes that Ned got hired at welfare three months after the last woman was murdered. And he wasn't like a prolific murderer. And I mean, five is enough. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, that's where I mean, clearly, I understand this. I mean, that this is where they kind of go light on the psychology, because to me, if I mean, if I'm just thinking if the thrill of it is that is doing that to someone and you do it five times, I mean, really would getting your rocks off every week sexually? I mean, that just doesn't seem like an even trade. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't seem like an. like a fair trade but it also seems like well i mean stabler points out that like when you look at the class of like the victims versus like who he went after it's like he definitely had a punching down personality yeah completely so he like would terrorize these women behind their desk until jane caught him with his pants down and killed and he killed her to shut her up so Apparently, there's no DNA because it happened in the 70s. And Anne Margaret gives the greatest line reading of DNA later on, like just the word DNA. Like, it's like you like baby. And then you think about it. Maybe her character wasn't watching the OJ trial. (laughs) She was sitting at home rewatching commercials. So B.D. Wong thinks that it's possible to trick him into a confession. He didn't pr- like pick his victims completely at random. Each one of them must have done something to set him off. They just need to find mm-hmm. out what his connection was to them. So we cut to Elliot and Olivia putting on the pressure and spelling it out for him exactly how he knew each victim and what their motivation would be. I'm going to play this scene right here. 1411 to 1538. Gloria Kelly. Murdered September 1973. Who? Attended bar for a catering company she hired. She was rich. You had to work for her. Now your boss says that you were fired after you mouthed off to her? 
bitch made me hose down the patio three times till I got it right. Elizabeth Giles, December 1974. You were substitute teacher at the private school where her daughter attended. She broke the rules trying to grease her little brat's way into Harvard. Then you could barely afford community college. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Ann Witherspoon, murdered February 1975. Well, she won a postdoc that you applied for. Emily Cutler, murdered April 1976. She lived in a luxury building around the corner from your rent-controlled hovel. She had a doorman, you had a broken-down railroad flat, probably what, with a broken toilet, one window in the back? Catherine Price. October 1976. You both ran in a road-running club together? She dusted you in every race. You two and your big theories. But your whole case falls apart if one link snaps. Well, guess what? Emily Cutler. Don't know her. Never met her. She was killed the same sick way you killed the others. Want to bet, Miss Wiseass? April 1976. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming at a men's retreat, and I can prove it. Can you prove you didn't leave dandruff all over Jane Whitmore's body? Warner comes in with the save. Also, well, so here, a couple of things. There's so much to, to talk about. But what I love also, and this is, I think, a great problem with SVU, is that they have an interesting take on class and elitism with, notice how they, you know, and I know they're insulting the per, you know, the, the, the not the victim, I'm sorry, but the, the criminal, but they really do a lot. And I've noticed in episodes where especially people from, you know, different social, social, economic, socioeconomical, you know, Thank you. I couldn't get it out. But they really do a lot of that where in the writing, and maybe it's to your point that they're trying to read, you know, they're trying to show people their true colors and tell them to stop that. But like the whole interchange where they have a comeback, like, you know, you could barely afford city college and your hovel. You know what I mean? They but they do that a lot in different episodes. I where... think they're trying to work in someone's class insecurities in a place like this, for example, mm-hmm. where if by calling him poor to the bone, by like saying like you have lifelong insecurities from growing up less wealthy than others around you. Mm. Like, cause El- look, look, Elliot's an Irish Catholic boy. This man does not know opulence. Okay. This is, <laughs> he's, he's like one of 12 kids that grew up like going four to a room. You know what I mean? Like if not more, like I, I think that they, I think they utilize that to, make their like in a situation like this anyway i know that Mm. sometimes also they play on class dynamics because like but i i also do think it's sometimes dumb to assume that everyone's jealous of money i would agree with that too i mean i know for this for this case that was the point they were making but i would 100 percent agree with that i mean i also look at i'm one of those people though max and i i think we even talked about this the other day i look at extreme wealth and i think that has to be hell yeah, because it's, I mean, at some point, you're just literally buying blouses that are $800 to, for what? I mean, it's just, it's got to seem kind of like a, I mean, re- truly a gilded cage. And all of your, all of your relationships are tainted by it, unless you are right. in an equally wealthy community. And when you're in an equally wealthy community, the competition is so fierce that it's like, I don't know. I just, I do think so, in some ways, extreme wealth is like a nasty curse. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it is, I would say it is, I, I, you know, I, we talked about this too, just as it goes back to, I always think back to what my mother says, listen, you can be unhappy poor in a trailer or unhappy rich on a yacht, but wouldn't you rather be on the yacht? 
It is true. Like I, I remember in my brokest days when I was like hiding from my landlord and getting my lights shut off and stuff like that. I, I remember my gas and my lights got shut off on the same night once. And I was overdue on my rent. Like the city, it takes a lot for a city to turn off your utilities. Like it must have been three months since I paid my electric. And my parents were not interested in helping me at all, even though they were definitely in the position to. It was like a, you wanted to move to LA. You know? And my stepdad had told my mom, like, next time she asks for money, she's moving home. Because I think I had asked a couple of times for, like, my Verizon bill to be paid so I could turn my phone back on. That one, I don't think I would ever deny my kid on if I had the money. Because it's oh, like, you no. should be running around Los Angeles without a cell phone. But that said, they didn't help me, which I do respect that choice as well. And I think it's very true also of like white upper middle class families that they don't really help their kids like that. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought this was, I thought it was very interesting. I don't know. I think it's very interesting. Can I tell you, like, I think we talked about this too. I was watching Eminem's daughter on TikTok the other day and like, she has a podcast now that's doing okay. It's doing well. Like she had a little booth at Lollapalooza and like, you would literally, if she didn't have his fucking face and a very famous name of Haley Jade, you would never know it was her, but she does have a really nice house. And I was thinking about it and I was like, God, I hope no one ever like interrogates her about what she does for money or something because it doesn't like she doesn't have to do if I was in that position and I do appreciate someone like Shaq who makes his kids get like a master's degree before he gives them any sort of financial help. If I was in the position of Eminem, my daughter would never work a day in her fucking life. Mm. Like if she didn't have to go through what I went through. I wouldn't I would literally just be like, here's your house, like invest in your I mean, I would definitely guide them toward having a hobby and a purpose. Like you don't want someone who's just flipping magazines and chewing gum all day. Chet Hayes or Chet Hayes, Chet Hanks. Chet Hanks. Exactly. Like and that's what the trouble you get into when you have no guidance. But yeah. So Elliot takes his jacket off the chair that it's draped on and he's like, you can't take that. And he's like, you should wash your hair more often, asswipe, which I thought was great. Now, Olivia's like, also, what a great that would have been a great spoken word opportunity for uh, a dandruff shampoo, like head and shoulders. But like next time, make sure to use head and shoulders. Yeah, right. Exactly. So call call NBC's ad sales team. We could do this. You know, they give us like a nice little percentage. We'll write it into it. Oh, honey, I think they know about that. I think I do. I do think they know about advertising. I unfortunately, yes, I do. Olivia says you're cooked. See you in Sing Sing. So (laughs) Ned screams after them that he did. That doesn't prove anything. He had sex with her, but he didn't kill her. He didn't kill any of those bitches. He has an alibi. He was in Cheyenne, which like I love that he says a men's conference, too, because what is that like Andrew Tate? I think that's Andrew Tate for the 70s, which, God, think of how lit that would have been. That would have been so fucking lit. Like, I I do. I kind of always wish I could. And there's no way I could do it because I'm not OnlyFans material. And if I was, they'd probably lock me in a basement. Okay, first of all, first of all, I I disagree because I feel you could make a killing on OnlyFans because I think you would find the niche and then you would be the only one doing giving that niche. Well, it's this it's this eight point five 
on wiki feet type of foot I have that would definitely take me over the top on OF. Well, also because I think you could do, I think you could do some hot foot insult fetish that could really hit a lot of markets. Oh, that's so good. If my page was just insulting, like small baby penis man. Like, like I think you're, yes, between your wit and voice and delivery, I think you could like just, if it was video messages or even audio, can you imagine you just audio have to audio message people insults throughout their day easily a fortune because i don't want to do the text that's one thing that i've learned that's like exhausting. tiffany tiffany and i like started to look into what it would be to sell our feet and it was like she's you know tiffany my my co-host on trend lightly she's a little bit more like i don't know how she gets everything she does done in a day because i get exhausted just responding to my text messages from like well-meaning friends that I actually really want to speak to. So I could never be like in the chats, like responding to needy men. I guess the point is that like you send one for every five messages, like desperate horny messages they send. But yeah. And but see, and that I mean, and I know this isn't the topic of this podcast and I do. It, have a it is now. It, yeah. But I just but what I think is so interesting about OnlyFans is that as always with sex, it's not even about the sex. It's the intimacy. And if you make the only way to truly make a shit ton of money unless you're super famous and showing some some side boob a la denise richards is you have to just get loyal following and then you commit to engaging them to where they're paying that monthly subscription you know it, and it, it's all about the intimacy level of actual communication and you just have to be willing to invest it and you can buy a house so here's what i i know of only fans is that it's less it's a little less willing to pay the monthly subscription you need less of that than you need people who are willing to buy one-on-one content like custom photo sets and custom videos and custom whatever so you really only need like you could be a very high earner on OnlyFans with maybe only like 50 hardcore clients if you're charging a certain if you're offering a unique enough service and the thing with that is think about how exhausting i mean clearly if you're being paid well but it becomes a job in itself and at some point you think i mean it's like it's basically like influencers you know who are constantly or creators oh yeah it's no. basically that market sex time is a full-time job exactly the same way as an influencer except it's way more dangerous and you have to be a lot yeah. more like you know how influencers can be sloppy and be like i'm going on vacation you know, like you can't really. Do oh, no, that. I don't care if you're on vacation. You still want your insults to the tiny dick and you want them exclusive to you. Exactly. So, But no, but like, I mean, like on vacation, meaning like they might tell someone where they are <laughs> versus like if you're doing sex work, you're a lot more vulnerable because your fans have just, different connection. Yeah. yeah and I'm not laughing. I hope, you know, I hope what I'm laughing at is that I do. Th- I was I was interpreting. You were saying, no. you know, you can like go on vacation where. <laughs> And like vacation right. mode on like Etsy. No, that's not. No. And then also just quick question. Has SBU done an Andrew Tate episode yet? I think that that will be done this season. But I do think like they did Gamergate. Which mm. was is sort of of the same vein where it's like women don't belong here. Men are superior. But like that's more like video game based. I am sure that there will be like a toxic male podcaster episode because I think their premiere this year is going to be depth and heard or like that a mixture between that and like Evan Rachel Wood and Manson. Mm, Okay. I'm sorry, Brian Warner. Let's call him by his name. 
So they go to Emmy Warner's office and the DNA matches both Jane and Ned's comb. It sounded like she said come. And I was like, oh, my God, they're allowed to say come on TV. Yeah, that was a new news flash. But no. No. So Olivia wants more. And he's like, well, you know, he's just claiming a sec- the sex is consensual. So they need a little bit more from Warner. And Warner's like, well, I have it. He's been flaking on his victims since the beginning. So this man has had bad dandruff since the 70s, which is like. That's how you know he lives with his mom, because like the well, only woman you could be around who's not like if you live unchecked like that, like that's how you have dandruff for 30 years. Oh, completely. And clearly he just was never able to invest in self-care. It's cheaper to invest in like any shampoo I could buy is cheap, is like is more expensive than head and shoulders. Oh, 100 percent. I think he just is scared to use the I bet his mom is like Irish or something. And she's like, don't turn the hot water on. So (laughs) before they leave, Warner says that they need to look into like the whole Emily Cutler thing, because she's the woman, the last woman who was murdered, who who the 1976 case. Uh, Otherwise, his alibi might be solid. There was no dandruff on Emily's clothes and there was no way that he could have killed her. A single blonde hair was found on Emily's nightgown and it's a match for a female. So whoever killed. It's a copycat, right? It's a copycat, honey. So Benson's getting off a call with the DA. He just arraigned Ned as the bedtime butcher. So that's a job well done. Well done. Stabler's like son of a bitch is going down hard. Like I love Stabler just like literally goes straight to son of a bitch, which is also so Irish. Yeah, it's he's really giving a lot of character layer work. Yeah, always. Well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so this leads them to solve the murder of Emily. And Olivia's like, God, I can't believe there was a female copycat for the bedtime butcher. It just doesn't seem like a woman, you know? And Stabler's like, You're surprised by a killer woman? Try missing an anniversary. <laughs> Stabler does give so much like oppressed married man. Yeah. In these episodes. You can tell, yeah. You can tell some of the writers are very much in that place. Or they're just trying to give because that's like was such a go to like comic act at the time. Like I think that when like John Mulaney was, you know, we we all found out what happened there. I think part of the surprise with that is that we had sort of left the era of men being like, take my wife, please. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like we had left. Honey, we left it. At the, we, left it at, we left it with Courtney, Swar- Courtney Thorne Smith and Jim Belushi's brother in According to Jim. We left it. Right. Back that's right jim belushi yeah so yeah uh, sorry oh james belushi yeah so he like i don't know i feel like he's a guy that like pisses into two liters oh completely yeah so olivia's worried that cayman's files so cayman is the the guy who was investigating this case back in the 70s might be useless to them now because he was looking for a male this whole time and craigan's like Well, there was a lot of women in Cutler's life. Her husband, Cal, ran a mattress company that got popular because of his sleazy sexual ads that always involved him on a mattress with, like, tons of blonde girls. He was known as the Mattress Maestro. Honey, Jiggle TV. Jiggle TV. (laughs) Jiggle TV. In the 70s. By the way, like, Jiggle TV sounds, like, beyond 
like it's almost too advanced like for the 70s where i didn't even i mean i guess the 70s were known as like the swinging 70s but well, I kind first of, of all honey that's the swinging 60s oh the swinging 60s sorry by the 70s what i mean the 70s i feel like i mean isn't it kind of anything goes in pre-aids new york i always say yeah. that i feel my soul belongs in a pre-aids new york like i feel like i was a roller girl i feel like i was very amorous i feel like i i, I feel that part of me is forever in a culture I never lived in. Now, things were terrible in the 70s, so I wouldn't want to go back there, but pre-AIDS New York is where I picture myself thriving. Well, first of all, we need to do past life regression with you because that was could easily be part of your experience in a past life. Oh my God, I hope I didn't die of AIDS because I'll tell you when I'm, I feel like, and this is a little kooky and stick with me, I feel like I have a very strong memory of being born and being upset to be alive and knowing mm. that I wasn't ready to be to do this again. Really? And which would explain why I've been tired my whole life. Your entire life. See, I'm so fascinated by all of that. That is really okay. I, I, that's the first time I've ever heard you speak of that. I quite, I'm very interested in this. I do. I feel that way. And I know that this could be like some sort of fractured memory of mine, but I feel like I remember, maybe it wasn't like, I feel like I remember gaining, I think I also remember like, you know, when you like start to realize the comings and goings of the world and you like gain consciousness of like what's mm -hmm. around you. I feel like I remember crying to my Nana because I had to play the game for the rest. I was like being asked to play back in the game. Wow. I feel I'm very old. I'll just say that. I feel I'm very old and I feel I've never learned a lesson in my life. Have you done the life cycles yet? Because supposedly I'm on, I think I only have two more lives left. No. How do I, is that a test? Yes. Well, I, I'm going to have to ask my friend Lauren, who we, I will ask her and I will let fill you in afterwards. But we've, we've done multiple We've done, she's also an enthusiast. She's actually one who's inspired me to go and do past life regression in Santa Fe. And are you doing really, it? Yeah, spoken word influencing it as we speak. When are you doing uh, it? In October. Can Is it too late to sign up? I'm going to send you the link. Okay, because if I can sign up, maybe I'll go with you. I feel like I could use that. And I'll honestly, if not, we should do, we should do a whole, uh, we can figure out a proper time to do a seminar in the spring as well. But I'm really quite fascinated with it. And I just think that I, I can't, I love hearing you talk about that because I have never heard you express that. And that is so fascinating that that would be such a core early memory as you viscerally thinking and feeling, I don't want to do this again. I yeah. can't do it feels, yeah, it was like, I don't want to be tortured again. And I do feel like if I've made a good life for myself, I'm a little lighter now, but I don't think I've reached that sort of stage where my soul will be set free in my next life yet. And maybe I do need to work on that. But like, I do feel like I am part of a very tortured system over here. Mm. And with Capricorns, they say that we're born old and we get younger as we age and that feels very right to me because not only did i look like an an old man when i was a baby i looked like an old man but i feel like i had a weight that i carried in my childhood that was incredibly unnecessary if i hadn't internalized so much in an adult way 
Like I felt mm. like I had a very adult yet childlike understanding of everything. And I've gotten younger as I've gotten older because I've now I'm able to be just more objective and factual and feel like that's not my thing. You know, that's your thing. That's not my thing. Or this is my thing. It's not your thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I think I'm getting better. I don't know. I think I am getting younger while older. And that's why I look so, that's why I look 12. So Elliot remembers these ads as soon as he puts them on. It's like his face lights up like a Christmas tree. Do we do we think those were the ads were the first thing he jerked to? Yes. Absolutely. Yep. The way he reacted I, to it, this was absolutely his version of scrambled porn. Hey, I first of all, I love that. That adds such depth to the character. Yeah. So like Cal, it's like we see him, he's dressed as a cow. He's like, yeehaw. And then we see there's this blonde bouncing on the bed behind him to demonstrate how like sturdy this mattress is, right? And the whole thing implies a level of sexuality that's a little like, ooh. Like if they were playing that on TV now, like on channel 11, as Elliot says, it played every five minutes. That sounds like, I don't know. This just fe feels almost borderline German to me where they show like mm. Red Eagle on an ad. Or when I was in Amsterdam, I would say Amsterdam was filthy. The ads on TV. So we see another one and it's like a Hawaiian setup. And he goes, you want to lay. But you get that motion in the ocean on one of my waterbeds. Well, in nine months, you're going to need a baby bed. And guess what? I got those too. <laughs> so Emily Cutler knew that he was cheating. She had like, he because like the idea of this is also he's surrounded by like a dozen blondes and it's very porny. Right. So if that's not very apparent. Porny and horny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he looks a little like Kenny Powers on off of a, a smidge bitter Kenny Powers. Uh, yes. And so Emily Cutler knew he was cheating. She called for domestic disturbances more than a dozen times. And one of her quotes from the file was like, another slut is here drunk, threatening to beat me up. So Olivia wants to talk to Cal, but Cal's dead. He died in a drunk driving accident eight months after his wife was murdered. He burned to death. Maybe a place to start is by talking to the former cop, Susan Delzio. She was at every single call, which I don't like the odds of that. Mm. I mean, that was she working? I mean, listen, maybe she took a lot of shifts. She might have had, you know, debt to pay off. Exactly. So Susan knows as soon as she opens her door that she's looking at two cops and she's like, oh, the cops. I know. I know them when I see them and they don't look amused at all. And they're like, we're here from SVU. She's like, was there a rape? And they're like, and a murder. So she agrees to let them pick her brain, but she's not letting him inside the place. She just like, and she does it very casually too. She never says, I'm not letting you inside. She's no, she's like, like, oh, the painters are redoing the foyer. Pedro. Oh, Pedro. Pedro, I'm going to step out for a moment. Yeah. So she got into sculpture since she retired and she's building a new studio in one of the bedrooms. And Benson's like, good to know there's life after the job. Yeah, so sure, Jan. Okay. But wait, first of all, can we discuss this is Jacqueline Smith's entrance. Her hair is flawless. She looks phenomenal. The layers. The you layers would of hope her hair. You would hope to like come off the squad and look that glam because like, you know, I'll be real with you. Like most of the ladies on SVU over the years have looked like they don't have a side of them that gets dolled up. No, and that's all right. But yeah, but they don't Susan, need to. No, but Susan somewhere in the mix of being a cop learns how to glam a little. 
Her hair is beautifully colored, like beyond. So, and her, I mean, her bone structure. I mean, listen, she played Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis in a made-for-TV film. That's how great Jacqueline Smith's bone structure is. Have you heard the rumor that Gen Z thinks Jackie O was ugly? Yeah, I, I well that, and then have you? And I quite don't understand the TikToks where it's Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis eating or eating poorly. Have you seen those? Like her diet was poor, or do you mean like Jackie? I'm gonna have to find it and send it to you for the notes. It's this weird trend that I don't really get. A because I think I'm just seeing red that I feel she's. Are they saying she eats sheet metal? Maybe. Yeah. So if it's Jackie eats sheet metal, they're talking (laughs) about her like she's like sloth. Like yes. the Goonies. Is that because they think she's ugly? Is that because they think They're she's saying ugly? she looks like a, a cryptid or some sort of evil critter that eats sheet pans or something at night because she's like a cryptid. Yeah, they're called that's that's what that's their way of calling her fugly. May I just say Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis did not scoop her husband's brains off that convertible. Oh, honey, stop. Of- I can't. I I am so livid right now. Honey, I try to respect all generations, cultural thoughts and movements, but this is disgusting. I am livid right now. Yeah, and I I do think that we should get off their nuts a little bit about Helen Keller because if you want to say that them saying Helen Keller wasn't real, I would love for you to hear some of the jokes that we grew up on about Helen Keller. No, so- that I can handle. Listen. The Helen K- Helen Keller hate slash homage I can handle, but <laughs> not Jacqueline Kennedy. I think that. part <laughs> of the reason why people don't are like feel they don't like her and they feel licensed to hate her is that she, her wedding dress was designed by a black designer. And she, I think, like chases girl away and discredited her. <gasps> really? So I okay, think no, that that's some of the drama about Jackie O is that like. There was like a kernel of her being racist in addition to all the other reasons why people are suspect of the Kennedys. Like there's a little conspiratorial shit in there. There's a little, you know, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that's another, that's an added layer. So listen, I have to do a little due diligence and research that anyway, Jacqueline Smith has fabulous bone structure, much like Jacqueline Kennedy. But you guys, I do want to say if you I want JFK Jr. If you're listening to this or if someone who's in touch with JFK Jr. right now, I just want to let Q. you know. Call Q. Call it, Q. It might not be time to come back. I am Q. It might not be time to come back, honey, <laughs> because it's things are not playing out so well for your mommy. So honey, the, t- the tide is stirred. Jackie won't sheet metal. Yeah. That's a, literally the name of our last Friend Lately episode. So Olivia wants some of these women's names. Susan, Susan, like that called, you know, the cops because like, I guess Emily would call the cops for her. And so she would come out and then, you know, Cal would be like, oh, I'm so upset about this. And then once he and Susan were like alone in the hallway, he'd be like, just don't press charges. Like, don't, don't. Which I think is interesting that he never wanted to press charges. So Olivia wants some of these women's names. And Susan only remembers that every girl was blonde and built. Never the same one twice, except for the last call. It wasn't to the house. It was to a TV studio where he was filming a commercial. A blonde snuck in and slapped Emily on set. Emily was following him everywhere at that point. So that's why she was there. There was also another woman there that day. Kel's agent, Maude. So we're going to cut to Maude's office. And this is a little like... For an SVU episode, this is a little clip heavy because there's just too many 
dynamic characters involved here to not play these clips. So here we're going to meet Maud, the agent whose office is like, it's a little bit like, God, life with Mikey. Yeah. And may I also just say, I cannot believe we forgot to mention her in the guest stars, but Renee Taylor, who of course played Fran Drescher's mother on The Nanny, plays Maud, the agent. Right. Oh my God. Right. Yes. And also I want to point out there's a documentary I've watched. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was a documentary or show. It was about a person that had just clients that were little people and they had a very similar wall of sort of black and white, very vintage headshots behind them. The way she does Maude's office is like covered with photos the way you only see a New York manager really do it. So here's the clip. 2133 to 2224. Yeah, Hal Cutler was my client. Most of his co-stars, too. Cozy arrangement for everyone. Except Mrs. Cutler. Okay. I liked Emily, but this was business. Cal knew that nobody really cared if he dressed up in a toga or a clown suit for those TV spots. The customers wanted to see blondes. And you were more than happy to supply them. Those chickies begged to bounce on those bed springs. You remember which chickie attacked Emily Cutler? After all these years? You gotta be kidding me. Well, some were nuttier than the rest. These three especially. Jenny Coswold, Claire Lockton, Rita Wills. I will say I loved that Maude, they let Maude wear those necklaces, those chunky necklaces, and somehow they mic'd her so that we could get the sound of the beads bouncing off of her literal titties. Like, I, titties? I always try to think of the sound, right? Like what the audience is going to hear. And one of the many reasons I pulled this clip, but just besides Maude's, like, you know, fabulous oddness right was because you could hear the beads bounce when she jumped up and down and was like they all had big cans or whatever it was she said <laughs> like i was very intrigued by how they pulled that off because typically like heavily beaded jewelry is not welcome on a set no but listen we needed it for the character work we needed it so we go to meet with the three women that she listed as being like somewhat emotionally unstable. Susan is there to kind of chime in. They brought in Susan, the former cop, to chime in on which ones did what, right? So Jenny was the one who threw the flower pot. And then they meet up with Jenny at her grandson's birthday. And I always think it's like, why, like, how did they find out that she's at like a basement Papa Gino's? I wish it was. Oh, God, I can't. Even talk about it. <laughs> Don't get me started on Papa Gino's. Oh, God. Fuck. Now my tummy is hungry for it. And that weird. I need that Parmesan. Oh, so, honey, the Parmesan always sprinkle on top. Oh, do you have you a Papa Gino's? No, but I'm, I'm also I just from the sounds you were making, I can. Easily you know, get on board. you know that sauce is so zesty and dank. Like, mm. I, I'll throw. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw it away. I'll spend three days infirmed when I'm home to to risk it all for a Papa Gino's. So, <laughs> yeah, we meet up at with Jenny at her birth. How did they know that she was there? Like, how did they get the intel on that? All I know is that yet again she is serving layers in the hair, and it's Susan Anton looks spectacular. So she's like, good job, honey. And like, she's like waving to the kids. And then she turns back and she's like, listen, 
I was young and stupid. She gets right back into it. Like, you know, they came in and she was like, we're about to do the cake. Shut up. So she was like, I was young and stupid. I cringe when I think about it. Cal promised to leave his wife. So I slept with him and he dumped me on his answering machine. It was, you know, he was seeing one of Cal, another one of Cal's cuties. That's what they were called. So she's like, then we cut back to Susan. They did it. This is one of the scenes that I thought that was very interestingly written where they Mm. did a good job like introducing each character, flashing back to Susan at the station with her two sons, right? And then flashing into like this sort of like all three women being interviewed at once. So first we're going to meet up with, they meet up with Claire now, who's Morgan Freeman. I'm not playing Jenny's scene just because we're going to hear a little bit more from her. Wait, also, first of all, I thought that you said Morgan Freeman. It's Morgan Fairchild. I just said Morgan Freeman. I and absolutely also, called this. I absolutely called this woman Morgan Freeman. And may I also just say, I have something to admit. I'm ashamed that I forgot to mention one of the other ways I fell in love with Morgan Fairchild was she played Sandra Bernhardt's first girlfriend on Roseanne. Marla. Oh, that's great! Actually, that is that's great. I like love that. Like I love that. Well, and I love that Sandra. Bernhardt on that show, A, got to play a lesbian, and B, her first lover was Morgan Fairchild. I get the vibe very much from Morgan Fairchild that she's down to clown. Oh, I think she doesn't. What I love about her, and this is what I love about any performer, she clearly does not take herself too seriously, despite playing those kind of over-the-top characters, and I love that. I love that she's in it for fun and the cash. It's giving respectful, respectable Lisa Rinna. Yeah, I think she's a few, she's a smidge more talented than Lisa Rinna oh, in the yeah. acting department. Right. But yes, I would, I would totally agree. So they meet up with her. She's a lawyer. She's like in the in the halls of the same courts we normally see them in. I do wonder if they just did they just didn't have money for an extra set. Well, they, they spent all the money on casting that week. So, no, I don't think that they had. They, no. <laughs> yeah. And so, okay, here's this clip of them meeting her 2257 to 2317. <clears throat> Please, my law firm cannot know about that or that I ever did those ads. You just tell us why you threatened Emily Cutler. Well, because I hated her. Cal told me the bitch made him write the letter. What letter? The letter that gave me the kiss off. So I put a little something down his mail slot that I knew he would never forget. So it turns out that, well, we'll find out what she did in a minute. But so then we meet Rita Willis. Susan was like, I never thought I'd forget her. She was the one who came to the TV studio. So they go and meet with Rita. She's drinking red wine in the middle of the day. White wine is a day wine. She's drinking red wine in the middle of the day. I've said it before on the show. It's my number one calling card for like things are going wrong and that heavy eye shadow yeah she does have a heavy eye and by the way i will say as someone who has like that is my biggest regret we do have to we all have to reach a point as women where we say this no longer suits my eye yeah that's okay yeah of course so we all hear some accounts from the other women in this clip as well it's very obvious that rita is still proud of her involvement with cal today so here's 23 25 to 24 14 wow the bitch was keeping us apart. So, yeah, I went over there. Uh-huh. Probably had a few pops beforehand. Because he convinced you that you were the real love of his life. Mm. Oh, I was. Oh, the man loved sweet talk. Oh. 
Especially after hours in a showroom. But he was still married to Emily. And then she was murdered. That snapped me back to reality. I stopped acting, enrolled in law school. I was a fool. We all were. The way he used us, and the way I acted toward his wife. So you regret the whole thing? Regret? What, are you kidding me? Those commercials were my big break. So I looked it up, and I am trying, I am having a little bit of a hard time figuring out what part of the country uses pop to mean drinking drinking alcohol because she goes it probably had a couple pops or was she just being like was she just being being Rita honey I think Rita was just being Rita right like she's probably calling them like sodies when she really meant like vodka sodas yeah I think Rita because what I I mean Anne Margaret Oscar nominated Golden Globe winning actress Anne Margaret is giving us so much in this role like she has committed so much. She has. There's this like actually it's kind of like gross and sad, but it's like so committed. But they're, you know, they ask all the girls for DNA and they're all willing to do it. And Rita goes, I'll even open up and say, ah. And honey, the lip work during this. The lip work, but then also at first it seemed like there was a like a strand of spit coming between her lips but it was actually a hair that was slightly draped over her face and i liked that they kept that take because it's not attractive but that might be the point is that she's delulu she is completely delulu and i love that i don't feel like they have enough you know i feel like the the show is pretty good in the stabler years of the the tongue-in-cheek of yeah he's daddy and they all want to fuck him but i love how much they had her commit to that in this episode it is and like this is where i'm like i feel for her because this is a woman whose brain was fucking fractured like this is like there could be an this episode could simply be called fractured if there were probably 12 other episodes named something similar because it seems and probably they're all about dissociative identity disorder or something but like it does seem like a part of her brain was fractured at in her life and we don't know why yet but like my God. So Susan says that Jenny tried to spit at her and Claire dissolved into tears, but Rita slapped her after she hit Mrs. Cutler. By the way, I don't know if I said this yet, but like what what Jenny did, sorry, what Claire did, the lawyer, Morgan Fairchild, what she did was she put like a little cherry bomb or something down there. <laughs> mail slot. I know because he wrote that letter. So B.D. Wong's like all three of them sound emotionally immature and prone to physical violence. You know, which is fair, which is a fair diagnosis. It is a fair diagnosis. I also want to know, like, how young were they? Because they seem very young. And at a certain point, it's like, is it fair to call a 21 year old girl dating like a mattress magnate who's like pathologically lying constantly and probably a very sweet talker? Is it fair to call them emotionally immature for interacting in this way? I would say definitely not. But again, that's Law and Order SVU's least. That's their least offensive they thing. Were, this, that was not a popular dialogue in, in this country at all at that Wait, point. And, so. and, and not to back. I also have to say, I love when 
you know, I love that they were able to use the headshots of all these actresses from the 60s and 70s. And I love that whenever they can actually do that in any series, when they have the actual pictures of the characters from youth or yes. from the past featured. I think it's such a fun, fun, and compared to the terrible photoshopping, I love when they can actually use those photos i so fucking agree i always appreciate that from like props department or whatever else yeah. they just have like a great because like you can fake something like that right like i think 13 going on 30 hiring krista allen to play a young jennifer garner was like brilliant because she oh, grew up to truly look like her but and like a lot of times they'll hire people to play like the younger kids or they'll use kids for photos that it's like i guess I guess puberty really did a number on this person. Like, uh, yeah. Listen, yeah, I need I need the commitment of like Liza Minnelli playing a baby to Judy Garland in a movie. Like they've got to find that person needs to have a kid and then take the pictures. That's I, the kind yeah. of commitment I need. I had a conversation early on in my life about why with my mom, I remember watching Home Improvement and I'm like, I'm sorry, these kids just do not look like a blend of like uh, the mom on Home Improvement never looked like she would have been a blonde baby to me. Neither does Tim Allen. And I was like, mom, why are the kids blonde? Like none of them have like two, like, you know, one of them doesn't even look related to the family at all. And I think it was like the youngest kid who had a lot of lore around him. I remember when he grew up, like, I, I know he fell on hard well, times he, and I think pulled well, himself didn't he out do of it. Homemade porn, which again, I support. I mean, we, we have to do what we have to do, but didn't he make homemade porn? Probably. Also, just a side note, I love, you know, my favorite aesthetic is Patricia, the mom of Home Improvement, Patricia Richardson. I love that oversized chambray yeah. blouse look i think it's such a good look and she rocks it throughout the nine years of that show the speech i think about that she made all the time was like she was going out of town for a long weekend and she was teaching tim allen about the different sponges and she's <laughs> like the pink sponge is new the green sponge is what you use to clean the count that you like use the new sponge on the dishes. The green sponge is what you use to clean the counters. The one under the sink is the one that you use to like, clean up messes. Like it was just it's like a perfect scene in that way and was so like well like captured by the writers as something that like a man would never notice and in, in the house, which is like your sponges are infected, dog. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you how many guy friends' houses I've walked into and been like, I'm going to throw your sponge away and order you a new one on Postmates because this is disgusting. Like, I can't. Hey, I can't sponges, sponges are truly the most inexpensive. And literally, I feel a man, a straight man will buy a sponge. And then 32 years later, it's the same sponge. You have to treat them like fucking condoms, dude. Like, that's what I've that's how I've explained mm -hmm. it to men. I'm like, it's like a condom, right? Like. Not exactly in that it's one use, but I'm like, it's that dirty or dirtier, yeah. like it's dirtier. So unless you want to eat cum covered food, which I don't know, you might know a few people who do. But so <laughs> Cragen says that none of them have a record. And BD Wong points out that some people kill under certain conditions and then never do anything like it again. Staler's money's on Rita. BD and Olivia think it might be Emily and Susan thinks it was probably Rita. So then Emmy Warner comes in and she goes, I guess that makes me the tiebreaker. I analyze the swatch from the mattress. So I fucking love Emmy Warner. Like I say this every episode, she's like the fucking gold star 
player in every fucking episode. It's unbelievable. I find her to be the most reassuring because she always, and I love when they give her a little bit more to do. If it's not her, it's BD. Like yeah. they're the only ones who can offer us a little like reprieve from the madness or like, or can apply logic to the situation. And that like the detectives just, it's so frustrating to watch this show again in some ways because they, Olivia Benson's role is such, is such a knowledgeable one now that when you watch a show now and then you go back 10 years, you're like, babe, like, I'm so glad you got smart over 10 years because you were a fucking moron in this episode. <laughs> the first season is difficult. So they show up to Rita's and she's like hammered. Oh, so anyway, we find out from Emmy Warner that the DNA matches Rita that was on the mattress. So they show up to Rita's. She's absolutely like slammered, holding a martini in like a little robe. And she's very excited to see that it's Allie at the door. She's like, I knew you wouldn't stay away. Mm. And then Olivia steps into frame and they're hoping for her face to fall. But she's like, oh, a threesome. Like she's like very much... And I don't know why I'm such like, a good dork, but like for some reason I feel like threesomes were big in ancient Greece and then threesomes fell off. And then threesomes maybe started again in like the 90s. I just feel that threesomes are, are that it's that alluring thing that I think everyone is supposed to be into that just is way too much work. And also inevitably one person feels left out. That's how I mean, I feel like I feel like when you're bringing one into a marriage or something, I feel like that's the that's the flavor. Mm. You know, mm. like that's the flavor when you're bringing one into a marriage. If you happen to be a couple kooky people that met up a few kooky people that met up in like Vegas or something and it's a one night thing and there's like all synergy between you, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, how could you feel oh, left out of a situation you fell into? But and that happens a lot. Like I hear, you know, I think there's like the spontaneous threesome. And then I think there's the couple looking for their unicorn. Yeah. They just need a little bit of umph to like make it through the day. Yeah. So she won't let them into his place. She says that she told them that, you know, she, everything she knew and they arrest her and she's like, you know, smashes her martini glass on the door trying to get away. And it almost feels like she's like wielding this. I mean, she is wielding this. And honey, do we think that's sugar glass? Yeah. Okay. It has to be. They're not having Anne Margaret. Like, she's probably on some sort of, like, blood pressure medication that would, like... <laughs> All I remember is, like, I literally saved my Nana's life when she sliced her leg open on the dishwasher. And, like, she was she was on prednisone, so she was bleeding out like a fucking mental case. And then, like, yelling at me for using the good bathroom towels to, like tourniquet her leg and that before i called over the neighbor to bring my nana to the hospital because my grandfather was like not doing well and couldn't drive i couldn't drive i was like 15 and yeah so i like went over to mr hoy my my aunt's father-in-law drove us to the hospital so she got her she's like you know, we're at the station with Rita and she says, like, I'm sorry, I was drunk a little earlier. When I drink, I can get a little bit crazy. And Olivia's like, well, let's see how that works for a murder defense. She's like, drunk or sober. I didn't kill that bitch, Emily. She got her hooks into Cal and wouldn't let him go. She has this flask with her that she pulls out. And Cal wants, like, you know, he apparently wanted to leave, but there was no prenups back then. He was going to just figure out a way to stash some money and divorce Emily and just be in love with her. 
And Rita reminds them that the bedtime butcher was the guy who did it. And Olivia's like, well, why was your DNA at the crime scene? And she's like, D-N-A? And this, it's like, the, it's so standout because it's like, yes, like, I think you might have been inside rewatching Cal's commercials all these years and simply never heard about anything else. No, honey. And that's why you cast a, a legend like Anne Margaret to deliver such an over the top performance, because, honey, she was she was trying to make Elvis look good in movies. She was opposite Betty Davis. She was, you know, winning awards, you know, left and right since the 60s, since since, you know, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's husband was president. So Aunt Margaret, you call her when you need true gravitas to an over the top role and she runs with it. Do you think it's possible that Aunt Margaret had genuinely never heard of DNA? I would say it's 30% she hadn't, 70% yes. Like it's her Hadians moment of like Alicia Silverstone not knowing how to pronounce Haitians and it just made the episode so much better. Like the producers like no one tell her. No, I think that's Anne Margaret's talent, my love. Oh, okay. That's right. She was known for playing like kind of like a sexy Dumbo, right? Yeah. And I mean, also, did you, this is a side note, but did you ever see the miniseries where Rose McGowan plays her from 2005? If not, we should all watch it together. Yeah. It's over the top. Let's do a Patreon. So Elliot's like, well, I, this is probably how it went down. Like you were there killing her. Emily fought back. And Rita's like, no, I can explain. Cal hated Emily. She knew about the other woman, but she wouldn't leave. And Cal was desperate to change her mind. And then he said he needed her help so that they could be together. He wanted them to make love on their bed so Emily would find them there. She didn't want to, but she loved him. They drank and she gave in and she did it. So they're like, what, murder him? She's like, no, I had sex with him. My friend came early. And Elliot's like, what friend? And Olivia's like, she means her time of the month, Elliot. She bled all over the sheets and Cal was so turned off that she bled on the mattress. And, and, you know, Emily never even came home. So Stabler's like, Olivia, do you buy this? And Rita's like, no, I can prove it. Cal wants Uh me to... And this is why you want to do this episode, besides all the star power. The first thing you said to me was the sheets. Honey, it is. I love when SVU just throws caution to the wind and is problematic yet entertaining in such a spectacular way. And we'll get to it. But when they do the search for these sheets and find them, they're wrapped in a beautiful bow. It's in, it's so intense. No, it's, it's perfect. Intense. It's perfect. This is all she's been doing for 30 years. Like, And also, I will say that As much as it's disgusting, and I would like to think I'm above this, I do think that if it was something this, like, it's a little bit like Monica Lewinsky in the blue dress. Like, she says, so Cal, like, she's like, Cal wanted me to, and she, like, takes this big gulp of her spiked coffee. Throw the sheets away. But I couldn't do that, though. They were the sheets we made love on. And Olivia's like, you did not save those sheets soaked in blood for 30 years. She did. And that's why she won the Emmy. Mm -hmm. So Rita's apartment is a vision of a girl who once was like, that's the only way to describe it. There's racks of clothing she probably hasn't fit into for like 15 years. There's cardboard cutouts of her and Cal strewn about the apartment. And there's also like cutouts of other girls with Cal, but she's just cut out her cut out her headshot and put the face her face on all of the different standees. Right. 
Yeah, so, and I love that part. And may I also just say what I loved about that apartment scene was anytime I see a rack of clothes in a room, I think of Lindsay Lohan circa 2005 to 2010. Just living at the chateau with like... With racks of clothes. Like I just flash back to that so hard and it gives me, it gives me strength. Do you remember? I think there was a profile written on her where she picked up one of her dog's shit off the floor with a Chanel scarf. Oh, God, no. But will you please find it for the show notes? Because I've got to read that. Of course. So she kept everything. I had a rose, scrapbooks. There's newspaper clippings that Elliot's flipping through. And he sees a picture of, like, Emily's obituary with her face, like, circled out. And it says, die, bitch, die over over the whole article then now olivia is reading her diary 10 days before the murder she wrote an entry to cal saying that she would do whatever she could to keep them together olivia is looking for the entry after the murder when stabler finds the sheets in a side table drawer they have a bow wrapped around them like they yes like like you said it's like christmas like when you buy a pair of like like ugg does this right and there's so many brands that do that when you get a christmas pajama set they like wrap it nicely. So like the the gift itself is a gift. Like you're looking at a, you know, you're looking at a pajama sh- set wrapped like a little box with a bow on it. With a beautiful bow. And also this just not again to backtrack a smidge. Whoever decorated Ray Finkel's home in Ace Ventura decorated this set with the die bitch die because it literally looks like they were the same set designer. It's almost it's also like very John Waters esque. I kept thinking mm. of you. Like it's very it it's like almost surrealist in some ways. Like the idea that this woman was living like this, but it's completely believable. Like this is New York City, baby. Who knows what's going on behind every door? Well, what's brilliant is if you get I've got another name for you to put in the show notes, but if you get those rent controlled apartments that were nice and still cost 85 bucks, she because the apartment's nice, it has a lovely view and they can live forever. And if you if you've never done a deep dive on a certain actress named Sylvia Miles, I'm going to send you some art, some work about her. And I encourage the audience listening at home to do some research of Sylvia Miles because she basically lived in an apartment like this. She was an actress from the 60s, 70s and 80s. You, you will not be disappointed. Oh, yeah. I'm so, Please I'm, send I'm me sorry, whatever you have. Influence. I'm spoken word influencing Sylvia Miles, who just died. Yeah, let's get into Sylvia. That's the new Grey Gardens. We need to move on from Grey Gardens. Like, Yeah, we've had enough. Listen, again, <laughs> the Bouviers, the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's cousins. Mm, Andrew Barrymore, oh, who always like, deserves nice things. Also, you know who did it in the Grey Gardens TV movie with her and Jessica Lange? Jean Triplehorn playing Jacqueline I Kennedy love Onassis. Jean Triplehorn. Don't even talk about her to me. <laughs> Shut your mouth, bitch. I know. I'm done. (laughs) I'm so sick of you trying to talk to me about Jean Triplehorn. I love her. How she didn't win every Emmy for Big Love shocks me. I'm disgusted. She still wasn't even nominated. It's disgusting. So (laughs) Olivia finds an entry that was like the last entry two weeks before Cal was in a car wreck that says, I killed for you, Cal, and now you don't want me? Burn in hell, you monster. So Olivia tells Cragen that they submitted the paperwork to have Cal's body exhumed and that they'll have his body on a slab at Warner's by Monday, which is like, "Mm, okay, I know he cheated on his wife, but like, why are we going to Cal on a slab? (laughs) It's like kind of the charred, the charred remains. Yeah. 
So Cragen's like, I don't think he was murdered. And Elliot's like, well, your old friend must have been wrong twice. You know, he, he, then I like that Elliot's willing to like fucking slam Cragen's dead cop friend who for all reasons had bad, like him bad genes and tried his whole life. So it turns out that Emily's killer was a woman and Cal didn't really get a DUI. So this detective might not have been doing his job. And Cragen's like, no, I don't think Rita is a criminal mastermind. Like, please go get your full confession from her or, you know, he's not going to do it, which I do like. I will say I do. It's the most frustrating part of cops, but it's also the most noble part of them is that they're not going to go until they have a full case against you. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Rita's passed out in the interrogation room and Stabler wakes her up by throwing her old diary on the table. Here's this. I'm going to play the, the, the scene she probably won her Emmy for. 3208 to 3514. Rita, rise and shine. Did you find the sheets? Oh, that and so much more. See, I told you the truth. Yeah, and your great love for Cal. A lie. You are nothing but a piece of ass on his to-do list. Well, that's not true. And when he blew you off, you murdered him just like you did his wife. No. Yes, truth's right here. You wrote it. Oh, give me that. That's private. I didn't want to kill her. But you made me, Cal. And now you want to throw our love away. You'll pay for this. You have no right. Oh, we have every right. You gave us consent to search your apartment. We found your confession. It's not what you think. You killed Emily Cutler. I did not kill Emily. I killed my baby. <laughs> I found out I was pregnant two weeks after Emily was killed, and I was so happy I couldn't wait to tell Cal because we could be a family, and it was everything I ever did of all my life. But Cal didn't want the baby. He said that it was too soon after Emily and that people would talk. And then he said for me to get rid of it. It! It! I didn't want to have an abortion. God. And Cal told me that we could have another baby. But then I got an infection in my uterus. I could never have another child. You know. And then the cow said it was God's plan. And then he said it was over. Can you believe that? From what we know about him, yeah. Oh, I wanted him to suffer like I suffered. So you killed him? I did. I did. I said to him that I wanted to meet him one last time. And then he had me meet him in this crummy little bar, like he was ashamed to be seen with me. So you got him drunk? Oh, yeah. That was really hard, right? Yeah, I got him drunk. And we both were smashed, and then we started fighting, and they kicked us out. And then I tried so hard to get Cal to change his mind about us. But he just got in his car, and he left. I never saw him again. Rita, you said you killed him. 
I did. He was so drunk, I should have taken his keys. But I was so mad at him that I let him go. I loved him so much. Okay. Wait. So before we talk about this, I just, like you said, this clearly won her the Emmy. Do you know who she was up against? What cut the category? I'm going to have to read it to you for guest actress. I know it's probably so fucking dank because that category literally every time I've never seen. I've never seen a year that didn't hit. Honey, sure. Sissy Spacek for an episode of Big Love. Goddess. Lily Tomlin for an episode of Damages. Goddess. Shirley Jones, Oscar winner for Elmer Gantry. Uh, Goddess. Mary Kay plays for Big Love. Goddess. And the woman who played Mrs. Claus in The Santa Claus for Lost. Elizabeth Mitchell. I mean, did you those say Mary are... Kate? No, Elizabeth Mitchell. Mary Kate plays. Mary Kate. Oh, Play. Mary Kate. Play. I was, I was thinking like, I because I was like, she did weeds, babe. You're so <laughs> okay. No, that's like very. It's that's everybody. serious shit. It's like the, it's like the category Coolidge one in that was just like stacks it, on stacks on stacks of just like yeah. the some of the all timers and. So Sherry Lewis is the mom from Brady Bunch, right? No, Shirley Jones is the mom oh, from Partridge Family. Partridge You're right. Family, very close. Sherry Lewis is the creator of Lamb Chop. <laughs> Sorry, I think I just like fucking ADD'd out on a good one. While this clip was playing, I have seen it just to warn you, that would have been my fourth time today. But I... I will like between today and yesterday, the last 24 hours anyway, but I had to get the fucking oven going for my steaks or because they're going to go bad, honey. They've been oh, marinating honey. for two and a half days. I need to I needed to get the oven going started at a 400 because we're not too far away from the end here. No, it's getting and it, it only. Yeah. So uh, that scene. Well, first, what what she gave us in that scene, it's she runs the gambit of emotions. She does. And you know that Rita's a good person, I would say, from this scene, because she genuinely, it was not her responsibility. Although it would have been a good friend move, it was actually the bartender's responsibility to keep Cal from driving that night. Like, that's, yeah, thank that's, you. Yeah, no, like in Massachusetts, like you get charged if you let, if someone, if you send someone off drunk and they get like a, DUI like they come back to the like that was always heavily stressed to us to cut customers off Mm. because the stakes were described to us as like you will be charged as like a accessory if you overserve someone like they were like you know some people will come in they'll rack up a really nice bill you'll want to keep the white red wine flowing but like after you see someone have five drinks like they're too drunk to like make any kind of decision you know and i think that we were even encouraged to ask someone like do you have a ride home god i'm trying to think and i'm sure that varies because truthfully i bet i i have been cut off at bars i'm not proud to say that certainly not in a very long time i would say in my 20s a few times i was like basically just be like the bartenders that like god even fiesta kid to be cut off at fiesta cantina but they would serve like crazy and i also have that look where i've had a drink or two and i really do my mom always says like you look like you're on heroin like after your first drink because i get so relaxed i guess that i just like right away as soon as i have something to like even remote like a (laughs) 
Don't diagnose me, guys. As soon as I have something to have like a little like that cuts into my anxiety, I'm like, okay, okay. And so my I guess, you know, I have a I have a heavy eyelid. I get very relaxed. I already have relaxed speech at my most dead sober. So I think I just look more intoxicated than I am all the time. Like I've I've had people say like, oh, Molly was fucked up. And I'm like, no, I was sober. I just seem like a drunk hurt. Like I just seem like drunk or high. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, completely. I can see that. So anyway, what I thought was interesting was that she genuinely is a pure soul that all of these years has believed that she's responsible for letting him drive off drunk that night. And that's a very child like. You know, you may never really forgive yourself for that, but like at a certain point, most people would say to themselves, this is not my fault that that happened. This is something that like I could have been more helpful with, but I didn't act. I'm not responsible for his death. Yeah, but she was so, I mean, clearly, and that's what, again, SBU does so well is that they showcase people who built their own prisons and how the tragic consequences of that. Okay, Taylor Swift. I know I love you and built your own <laughs> prisons. You dropped that on me the other day too, and I'm like, okay, Taylor. Like, well, I, I you, honey, you know my other thoughts one on Taylor. Yes, but two things. My other thing is, you know, I love to say we're usually our own worst villain. Oh yeah, we're we our are. Own worst, we're our own worst villain. And here's my thing, with and we're our villain. own worst bully. Oh, our own worst bully. I can't imagine my bullies saying some of the shit to me that I've said to myself. Oh, no, they would never. And whatever you create that you, first of all, no one's looking at us. And if they were, they're not saying nearly the heinous shit that we would say to ourselves. so big on that. Like, I hate people who are like, whoa, like we're public. It's like no one's listening. Like literally like moving through your life. Like so many people give a fucking shit about you is insane. Like everyone oh. here is on their own tip. Like there might be one little like nosy barker that's in the back. That's like a little, you know what I mean? But like, there's really no one gives a shit if you live or die, let alone what you're doing or talking about. Honey, I always like to think of it. We're like, you know how the Mormons, when they die and they go to heaven, they're on their own planet. That's how literally almost all of us are. We're literally Already, on Yeah, planet. it's heaven on earth. <laughs> it's heaven on earth. And my only thoughts on Taylor Swift is this. The, the one time I've really given her a lot of thought is when she was in that movie Valentine's Day playing a lover to Taylor Lautner, which was, you know, Gary Marshall doing all of those. He had like Julia Roberts in that movie for three minutes where she's an artist. Sure, sure. It's like one of those like it's like, you know, whatever the New Year's Eve one was, too. Oh, like yeah. Love actually, where it's starring just like our, a, starring our girl, Abigail Breslin. It's just a little collage of celebrities. Yeah. And my thing with Taylor Swift is I could just not I just kept thinking to myself, you know, it's really upsetting that her acting career is going to go further than Ashley Simpson's acting career. And that's literally the most I've probably ever And it's true. She has a new movie coming out called Amsterdam. With David O. Russell and his problematic ass. Exactly. And her little uh, gay boyfriend. But here. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I need to keep that stuff more like. That's not that's not real, and I don't mean that to Joe Alwyn. I'm no, just sorry no, to tamper honey, it down. No, honey, you're doing it more in terms of the zeitgeist than an actual. I, yes, I'm not. I, think I mean, ever. I hope to God everyone knows I'm not slurring the poor man. Like I literally <laughs> am not slurring him. I just mean like I. Mm, anyway, so well, what I will say is that my mom and my stepsister Samantha, when they saw valentine's day 
And I, they were like, Molly, you're like Taylor Swift. And I've been told oh, wow. that so I've, I, now that I look back on it, I've been told many, many times in my life, like when, when we went to the reputation tour, like all of my friends were pointing at the screen being like, Molly, that's you. And I'm like, ew, oh my God. Like, cause I knew they meant it as a slur. And like, now that I look back, I'm like, okay, whatever. I know she's okay. Whatever part it was, it's like, it is actually a compliment to me now because she's obviously doing great and you know i don't even know what my stepsister's up to but like that that's that's kind of my that's kind of my yeah we don't have like a josh and share relationship like i don't really talk to my former step siblings anymore but yeah it's like a very it's a very interesting thing where it's like i get i get slurred by being called taylor swift in my life but honey but you know what's interesting with that and this kind of goes back psychology we're just talking about it's only a slur if you believe it to be a slur and yeah. for you you think well why do i think it's a slur and that's where it gets freaky it's because they were laughing at me that's why because they were like molly you're like taylor so <laughs> and it's like it is like okay i know you mean this negatively but i'm also at her stadium tour watching her <laughs> perform for like a stadium of people so if that's me that's pretty good like i'm pretty yeah. happy to be that fucking nerdy ass bitch up there anyway lying about you know whatever so warner tells that rita warner tells them that, that rita's telling the truth her story checks out with the records all the way back to 76 the autopsy shows injuries on the victim consistent so the body that is cal Consistent with going 45 miles per an hour off of a cliff, trauma to the rib cage when the steering column snapped, you know, it got him and then he burned to death. So the only what's a steering column like the actual like stick like you know, that? I'm sorry, like the thing that's the steering was attached to. Maybe that sounds about right. That actually sounds perfect. OK, he's like that. Ooh, that went into his chest. Ow, owie, owie. <laughs> guys don't drive drunk like dead ass if we follow each other on social media and your uber driver is like you know less than 25 dollars like to an extent like if you're really in a fucking tough phase of your life and you have zero money send me a screenshot of your bank account and send me a screenshot of your fucking uber price and i will venmo you like i don't want anyone fucking it's insane to me that people drink and drive shout out and hey oh god Yes, completely. First, also, just a side note: How was she never asked to be on Law and Order SVU while we had her? Honey, she was SVU. No, was she on SVU? No, she wasn't. No, but I mean, she she. I mean, oh, maybe she, she was, it. but I mean, she lived uh, SVU. Like, if I was Anne Hesh, I wouldn't want to be enacting like some sort of like sexual violence. If I, you know, I mean, Anne Hesh was guys trigger warning sexual assault, like raped from when she was like two years old to when she was 10 which proves that her dad was an absolute real life pedo because yeah, when they discard also, you at 10 yeah it's like you have one pubic hair dead ass right so anyway then yeah the body burned to death the thing is is that this isn't cal cutler the victim's bones prove that he was 5'8 and cal was 6'2 Okay, so I did think this was a nice little, like, short king slam, truthfully. <laughs> I was like, I know that there's going to be some guy. There's probably a guy in the reviews being like, I don't like that they made the dead guy 5'8". 
like I feel like it should have been opposite because like, you know, like it's like I just know don't guys I'll check the reviews at the end. So and Elliot's like, well, then who's this crispy critter, which come on now. Come on now, crispy critter. So apparently it's James Rogers, age 44, was identified by his dental records. He was a transient who shuffled between Bellevue and Rikers. No one would miss him if he was buried as Cal Cutler. The person who released Cal from prison that day might help them. So she flashes that person. She flashes the files and Olivia and and Elliot have like a mate that this might that might be my screenshot from this episode is their reaction when Warner shows them the file revealing who released him from prison. So it's Susan. Guys, it's Susan. It's Jacqueline Smith Susan. Yep. And by the way, what'd she sell? Bras? She sells uh, intimates, think- right? Well, no, honey, that was just part of the brand. She had fabulous casual evening wear. It was all part of the Kmart. Oh, the evening wear. Honey, yes. it, there was a whole... St- I mean, I can remember walking into the Kmart, then next the Big K, and the Jacqueline Smith section took up multiple, multiple sections. So my friend Maria has a website. We taught we had Maria on here a couple weeks ago to do the episode Pixies. And Maria owns a little shop called Olivia Nadine that I think I'm gonna buy one of my because I, I like several winter fun furs. Like I don't just like one winter fun fur. I like many winter fun furs. And fabulous. thank you. And I also like to have what I call my house furs. And that means just like things that I just literally wear around the house. I sweat into. I fucking I had the same one for six years until blue like revenge pissed on it. And then I I could not salvage that. So I I lost out on my my greatest, my greatest dry clean only fur. But I I like a few every year because I one, I trash them. Two, they all wind up smelling like cigarettes. Three, like I'm never really super attached to the majority of them, but I need a couple more house furs. And I feel like if I went on eBay and searched Jacqueline Smith faux fur coat, I would be pulling some serious results. Oh, totally. Okay. I'm going to do that after Complete. this. I'll, po- I'll, I'll post if I get one. So yeah, we see Susan walking very confidently into the station, total big dick energy, knowing that she's gotten this far. And she's like, you guys are intent on getting me back on the force, aren't you? And Olivia's like, just a few more questions on the Emily Cutler case. And Olivia's like, and she goes, like, what? Like, and she and Olivia says, like, why you killed her? So Olivia's playing like bad cop with and they do a good job with this. This is why I like a two. This is why I like the masculine and the feminine on an SVU team. Because, like, the men can really speak to the men. They can also do something to the women. Like, we saw what Stabler did to Rita, right? Like, she's ready to toss her panties, throw aside the martini glass, and get laid. Which I would, I want to know what Rita would have done if Stabler was genuinely there to get laid. Do you think she would have led him into her lair? Or said, like, I actually, I actually think Rita, who probably has not made love since Cal's death, would finally. Because like so many people who put on a front, she's probably not as promiscuous as she's performing. But no. I do think she'd give Stabler a little a little taste. I, I'll tell you what I think Rita's sexual history is. Okay. Please. I, I think she gave a lot of hand jobs 
and the like in her wherever she grew up because i don't think she grew up in new york i think she grew up in like a like ohio or like the uh pennsylvania wilderness or something in the 1950s in the 1950s and she was given the hands she was doing hand jobs or something like that or she was just like sort of like a makeout slut or something like that or maybe you know what i think it's possible that rita was in her youth and this is not a slam to Anne margaret at all this is for the character potentially maybe an ugly duckling oh then then yes and then maybe she snuck into daddy's liquor cabinet and started to see that when she drank this alcohol, she started to feel a little bit sexy. Maybe she dropped some of her self-consciousness. I find it hard to believe that this character doesn't have, like, brutal psoriasis, so. Oh, yes. But, I mean, she had to maintain the glamour. It's Aunt Margaret. So, Rita was, like, juiced off of, like, her pops or whatever she wants to call them. And pops actually does imply that she might be from Ohio. She was juiced off of her pops. And she comes into, like, you know, New York. And she's starting to meet people. Maybe she's had sex. I don't think that she lost her virginity. I do think Jenny lost her virginity to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She said that, that, like, you know, he had sort of like lulled her into this concept of him getting a divorce before she slept with him. I think Rita was much. I think Rita has been a Studio 54 and the other two haven't. Yeah, Rita definitely lived a New York life. She was there with you at Studio 54. But the other two, well, one was at law school and then the other was, you know, getting ready to make the child that would make that grandchild. So, yes, completely. She definitely was with me in my past life at Studio 54. It was you, Liza Minnelli, all in Halston, and Rita living it up. It was the part of me that knew how to socialize to survive and survive only from a very young age. Like, let me say this Nev Campbell on her best day on the set of 54 couldn't hang at the real Studio 54 like you did and could. Oh, no. Neve Campbell's too, um, she's too uh, reserved, I feel. And too Canadian. And we love, we love Neve Campbell on any podcast and for her, for her immortal performance in Scream and Wild Things. But yeah, she could not hang at 50. She's, I, she's one of my favorites. I say that in a respectful way. Like, I think that she's like not buck wild in the right way. Oh, completely. She's Can you calm, fucking water. believe that the the producers on Scream or whoever uh, on Scream who does uh, the budget didn't make the money to reafford her? Like, are you fucking? That's like not finding the money for like, like, like. Come on, what's her face, Jamie? Uh, wait, but you know, but you know what I find so funny with it? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Who? Wait, Jamie? Who? Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. So here's what I find interesting. Clearly, they because Courtney Cox is in it and she doesn't come cheap. So they made enough. Like, how different was the salary? Because I don't think Courtney Cox is showing up. I mean, she's got that friend's cash. She doesn't have to do the work unless she wants to. So, I mean, their salaries couldn't be that far off. But they came up with the money for her, but not for Nev Campbell, who is the lead. It's very bizarre to me. It's super weird. Like, There's just no, there's no world in which like, she's not one of the all time final girls. It it just, it's to the point of where I know they tried to, they're trying to introduce a new cast, but there was not one member of that new cast that gave us anything even near what Neff Campbell gave us. It's not, you need, you need Sydney 
And if not, they better fucking beg because I know this movie is going to underperform because as much of us love like I love Ghostface like as a villain, terrifying, but I love scream movies. I love the pop culture infusion. Like I'm obsessed with it. OK, it's perfect. It's literally like my perfect type of movie. Scream is I, I mean, movies of I all mean, time. Wait, sometime we have to discuss Parker Posey in depth in Scream 3. There's a single shot in Scream 2 that I think is one of the most intriguing shots of cinema. And it's a guy bouncing past a van with a boom box. (gasps) And Jamie Kennedy is inside of the van. The single shot of this man bouncing past it, holding a fucking boom box, drowning out Jamie Kennedy, getting murdered in a van is like getting murdered by Lori Metcalf. It's getting murdered by Lori Metcalf. Compelling. Okay, so Susan's like, you know what? I didn't do this. This is a sick joke. And Olivia's like, well, you're the only one laughing and you've been laughing for a mighty long time, huh? And so Susan's like, you're making a mistake. And she tries to walk away. But then we cut to her being thrown down in a chair in the interrogation room. Here is the scene of it all falling apart, like fucking off. It falls off the bone, bitch. Okay, so (laughs) 3702 to 3924. I was a decorated police officer, Purple Shield, meritorious police duty, community service. Not years ago. You were a rookie back then and fallen madly in love with the guy that you met on the beach. I told you Cal Cutler was scum. No, you told us that you had stars in your eyes and that he was the first celebrity that you'd ever met. He was tall, handsome, on TV. This is ridiculous. That must have been a real thrill, right? Falling into bed with the mattress maestro? Let me guess. He told you that you were the only one and that he was going to leave his wife. It wasn't involved with him. Until you realized that he was going to hump you and dump you just like he did all the others. But you weren't like the others. I mean, yes, you did have blonde hair. This picture that they show of her. I mean, there is like a police hat very poorly photoshopped onto her. But it's sublime. Like, she's like, this This girl's too pretty to be involved with the cops. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, there's just... Anyone who has the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis bone structure is just most likely not a cop. And you're right. She does... And I I will say, as much as I do think Jackie eats sheet metal, I have the exact same hairline as her. Like, from when I was a little girl, like, old gay men would be like, you have the same hairline as Jackie O. Like... And I was like, really? Me? I didn't know what that meant. So anyway, they did an amazing job of capturing her as a fledgling police officer. Back to the show. But you were so much smarter than all those other bimbos, right? They didn't deserve your man. His wife didn't deserve your man. All you had to do was get rid of her. Emily Cutler was killed by the bedtime butcher. That's what you made everyone believe, you see? You are smarter. Oh, stop. Just stop. And that was only step one. You see, step two was to get rid of all those other sluts in Cal's life, like Rita Wills. I mean, come on, Susan. She was going to have his baby. You're embarrassing yourself, Benson. Which is why you made Cal believe that he was going down for Emily's murder. Bert Kamen's investigated him and crossed him off his list. But a good cop never tells anyone they're off the hook until they have the real perp. Now, you sit back down. So what did you do? You gaslit Cal. You convinced him that he was suspect number one. Top of Cayman's list. You had inside police information. 
and the noose around Cal was tightening. The only way out of this was to fake his own death. No, no one faked anything. Cal is dead. No, James Rogers is dead. Burnt to a crisp in Cal's car. So you and Cal could live the life that you wanted, someplace else together forever. Oh yeah, then why am I here? And where is Cal? Ah, oh, you dumb bitch. If I was gonna run away with Cal, then why didn't we? And where is Cal? He's in your apartment, the one that you wouldn't let us in because painters were inside, where he's lived for 35 years, hidden away. Come on. Cal. Honey. Honey. Honey, I literally thought this was like the worst old age makeup I'd ever seen in my life. Like, I was like, I'm sorry. Like, when I saw it, I was like, why is he, why does he look like that? Honey, he looks like a white California raisin. Well, honey, it's because he's been burned. I know. And I want to like point out that, you know, I do know that, especially now the dialogue around ableism is about how often people like severely burnt people or or mm. anything of the ilk is often used to signify a villain but i want to point out why it's different here okay and while also while also showing respect to severe burn victims because i cannot imagine like i cannot imagine like if you took all the things that i'm combined for for a potential suicide rate and threw those to the side if you gave me a full body burn like that i would never i would never yeah i don't think i could because like i have a i have one open shingle wound on my body right now which feels very similar to a burn wound apparently and i cannot live like this much longer like it's it's literally it's literally unbearable to think and also the fact that this man was not allowed to have medical treatment no, because he was living in the, the pottery room, which, but also don't you think, I mean, the, okay, and I listen, I know we're not looking to make sense, but honey, if you can't be seen out, you, why, and I guess you had to stay a cop to pay the bills, but if he was the mattress king, didn't even have cash, why the hell didn't they just skip town to Florida? Why is he? Why are they living in the town where everyone could recognize because him? she probably had to rehab him in like an apartment in New York because like. So basically, let's just figure out what happened to him. So the car didn't blow up the way that they intended. So he went down to light it up, but he got soaked in gasoline, which I can't stop thinking about how like, babe, all you had to do was light like a paper napkin on fire and hope that one of the embers stayed on the way down. Like, because, that's, you know, that would actually help. That's like the, sorry, if a car is as off a bridge and is soaked in gasoline and you can just simply like, toss a, a napkin with burning embers on that's how like every wildfire throw a cigarette on it from on top of the bridge but the yeah, idea we've is, seen the movie but you the fact the fact that he feels like he needs to go down there and light the fire i'm like oh these were two i mean was she drunk too because like i feel like cal had to be the only way you could survive burns like that when not being cared for in a medical facility is if you were drinking heavily so and you can't do that when you're like because i i say this as a person with shingles like i you can't drink heavily when your your body is infected or you're going to go into sepsis so 
the car like you know didn't blow up blah blah blah. so olivia goes so a life together became a life sentence they built their own prison olivia's like why did he stay and susan's like he wasn't supposed to be there I just went to get some things, but I flew into a rage and it just happened. So Cal's mouth is gone. Like his lips went in the fire. So he's just in sort of a permanent frown. And he looks like an emoji. And Susan's like, well, you know, he forgave me for what I did. And things have been fine since we wanted to be together forever. And then it's like, well, forever just ended. And we fade out on Olivia reading Susan her rights and Cal standing a mouth agape next to Stabler in the interrogation room. It almost seems like nothing may happen to Cal. And I do wonder if almost he's been held as a hostage by her for all these years, because we just did an episode where like a girl was like trafficked to Ohio by her own father and then like locked in a basement. And I was kind of like thinking like, Oh my God, is this along the same lines where is this like, is this maybe along the same lines where he just like lived in her house because he was a a severe burn victim. And like based off of what every, like Susan's telling him the law and saying, like, you can never be seen again. Like, we set this up. He's in your car. We set this up to be your murder. Like, you have to be with me or you're going to get pegged for it, too. Like, she had the knowledge of the law to trap this man. And over that period of time, especially if, like, she was coming home from her shift and tossing ice packs on him. And, like, yeah. I'm not clear, though, like, because, like, his burns have have now healed into a nice raisin, right? And like it's definitely a thing, but it's not he's not rocking open wounds. Like this is someone who probably I- idyllically would have received many plastic surgeries for what they went through. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm very confused by how she healed this man without medical attention. Honey, basically this is an SVU episode where we're left with more questions than answers. It's a real lifetimey SVU yeah. episode where it's like, okay, well, what about that? What about this? So, but like, I will tell you, the reveal of Cal was jaw dropping. No, they really gave it. When I first watched this episode last, late last year, they I didn't realize how much the twists and turns. I was not expecting. Yeah, I just wasn't expecting it. And then it all comes down. And when they hold each other and when then and when when Benson and Stabler go, well, that, uh, you know, we just wanted to be together. The couple holds each other and goes, we just wanted to be together forever. And then Benson and Stabler go, well, that forever just came to an end. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, uh, it's divine. Thing. It's oh. divine. This is a divine program. Like it's beyond. It's like just so good. We're lucky that we got to live in a timeline with SVU. Even if I didn't want to be alive in this life, I will say I lucked out that there's SVU. Yeah, and it finally gave Anne Margaret her Emmy, her well-deserved Emmy. Maximilian, do you have like 10 to 15 more minutes to go over the IMDb? Oh, we have to. Okay. 
So you did call out the great goof where Benson's posing as like an impoverished, abused woman who's been on the street for three days, as it says on IMDb, but her makeup is perfect and her nail polish is unchipped. I'd claim that she's really not wearing makeup. <laughs> like, except for some like she's wearing TV makeup and that like her eyes have to exist. But anyway, so some continuity is that as Benson and Stabler go to speak to Rita Willis, she has a martini glass almost empty of fluid until Stabler grabs her to arrest her and swings the glass into the door that's now full and broken. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. You know, what's so funny about the IMDb, it's because you wouldn't think someone would just make up a mistake. But just like anything, the fact that anyone can add to it, much like Wikipedia, we can't take everything for fact. So what's I'm noticing here is that one of two found this interesting, which means that two people, <laughs> one person didn't find it interesting. And then there's another fact that one of six found interesting. And it's that when William Atherton, Ned Bogdan, tells Marishka Hargitay, Detective Olivia Benson, that she's a good girl the second time, there's a close up of him, close up of him rubbing her shoulder. And Marishka is clearly looking down at her. At, at William's hands and shoulder and her shoulder shrugs. And the next shot with no time to look back down or lower her shoulders, Marishka is looking back down at the paperwork and her shoulders are lowered. So that is actually a good continuity error and it's very small, but in the way that a continuity error idyllically should be. And how many people found that interesting? Six? One. One out of six people who who weighed in on it. It's like Yelp. People are fucking nuts. Okay. This is the perfect argument for the end of gravity. You left Earth to come back to this. To this? Like, are you fucking or is this a joke? Okay, so I'm going to read some of the reviews. So we have one from Laz. Guliner. Okay, this is on July 3rd of 2021. Oh, God, I fuck it. God bless the IMDb users. Every day I cry. I cry at, of thanks and joy for the IMDb users that show up week after week, month after month, year after year on the on something that is so fucking old and throw in their two cents. Okay, so this is a 10 out of 10. Obsessed women, colon, if she's in love with a celebrity. Okay, so again, the words obsessed woman, if colon, if she's in love with a celebrity are the first words in this review. So I like to think this is a notes app. I like to think that Yaz Guloner is getting drunk and, or is it Yaz Guloner? I don't know. I like to think that they're like getting drunk and writing these up in their notes app and then just like copying and pasting them into IMDb. So it says cold case turning into hot, a colorful TV atmosphere of the 70s. Charlie Angels was a pleasant, pleasant watch. I just want to see some of the things that they review. OK, this actually makes a lot of sense in terms of the Lifetime movies, too, because maybe Lifetime movies are mostly watched by 61 year old men as well. OK, so six out of ten. Case of the Bedtime Killer, it's too long to read, but uh, shout out to The Little Songbird. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, this is by L. Bowd L.S. Okay, it's um from September 15th, 2019. 
This is another interesting episode with some twists and turns, but ultimately I knew it was going to be like the reti- I knew it was going to be the retired cop, Jacqueline Smith. But it Wyatt loses a couple points. Oh, Wyatt loses a couple. Okay, I understand that. This is very American punctuation. Though there are other red herrings that surprise, though. Great veteran actors, too, like Anne Margaret, Morgan Fairchild, and Susan Anton. So much fun and great serious turns makes this episode play like you're watching a crying emoji 70s telemovie and it goes down as a classic i didn't even know you could put an emoji on imdb that's glass i didn't know okay two words okay colon this is by sinash dash seven nine four eight seven from may 16 2021 eight out of ten and margaret whoo she went through every emotion possible and she cleans up well as a after a bluesy boozy soliloquy and she still looks great a review here on imdb stated that jacqueline smith was out of her league she always was so here's the one that says jacqueline smith was out of her league okay jacqueline smith was out of her league here this is by wd star dash one this is a six out of ten on this episode they have a fucking beef and this was left in 2020 man they must have to have had rebuild all the sets from scratch after Anne margaret shoot up all that scenery (laughs) (laughs) shit but hey it was good it was a a good cause so i can't hold it against her i'm not at all convinced she deserved the emmy she got for this though ew Jacqueline Smith, on the other hand, well, she was a good enough actress for something like Charlie's Angels, but Dick Wolf and Co. have have made a fetish out of hiring top-notch actors, famous or never heard of, for their show's guest roles, and Smith didn't have the acting chops to match that. Just compare her to, say, Kelly Spitko as, as Francine, a junkie at the dingy rehab facility that Stabler and Benson visit, and Smith just can't play in that league. So this person is suggesting that Pencil Tucky did a better job here than Jacqueline Smith. Now, I will say this, and I do enjoy Jacqueline Smith. I think, I think of all the famous guest stars, she is least valuable player in this episode. I know. I just feel like this is like really like, I, to me, this feels like this person has never liked Jacqueline Smith. Yeah, they're never willing to like go into a review explicitly hating that they fucking hate her guts, but they find a way to hate her guts irregardless. But honey, can we just how are we on a tiny speck of dust in a galaxy? We don't even know the bounds. And there's someone who hates Jacqueline Smith so much that they spent the time that they have allotted on this planet to write such a scathing review of her performance on an episode of svu no i know like and by the way like let me see i always like to check and see if those if this was pre or post quarantine oh that's okay now listen fair fair so this was a post quarantine this was december 29 2020 because i think that like quarantine brought out like a special mental illness and i do always like to present i am afraid i have this weird fear that sometimes these people who review things died of covid and i don't know why i don't know why because i just feel like sometimes they're so like trapped in another era that i'm like you are sexist 
Like you are the type of person who would go out unmasked. Mm. And I feel bad about that. But I look at this and I say, COVID. Yeah. However, you know, Yaz, Yaz Golner from the very beginning, he, the guy who reviewed the first one we read, we do see he's alive and heavily reviewing SVU until this day. So thank God for that. Well, good for him. Okay. Whoever. Let me see. There was one here that I wanted to, one other one I wanted to read. Okay. Six out of 10. This is by Garrett. Okay. And this is from March 31st, 2010. Too many quote cooks in the kitchen and a limited quote menu. Okay. NBC really promoted this episode because it featured the inspired casting of TV icons Jacqueline Smith, Susan Anton, and Morgan Fairchild, along with Screen Queen and Margaret. That by itself made it a must-see installment. However, the story about a 30-year-old case comes to life with the death of a woman who died under similar circumstances as earlier crimes was not that captivating. The actors did their be- the best they could with the rather routine plot, with Anne-Margaret having a, a showier role, allowing her to chew scenery during your screen time. It's too bad that not enough creativity was put into the development of the tale to make it more memorable. In addition to the four fabulous females, the episode was also featured a character actor, William Atherton, as a... Dis- a- disreputable public official who abused his power to prey on women who came to him for assistance playwright and actress renee taylor who was cass's friend dresher's mom in the nanny has a small part as well i didn't know she was a playwright yeah she has an oscar nomination honey for a 1970 film called lover and other strangers which i've seen which is one of b arthur's only feature film roles who of course she played maude and later Dorothy on the Golden Girls. No, I know that. What I didn't know was that she's a playwright. Oh, yes. Renee Taylor's very talented. I didn't know she was a playwright. Okay, so this is great. I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah, there's also other reviews saying that this is just a soap opera now, etc. But I, I really did. I thought this was a... I don't know. I, I have a hard time deciding where I like my time spent. And I think I do like more spent on the field than in the courtroom however it's sometimes really difficult to take notes on this like i'm viewing it from a different angle it's a little bit more hard to take notes on an episode where we follow a wild goose chase yeah but that's why it makes it so special you know i mean i think i think the formula of the usual episodes is is so reassuring in some ways and then when they detour and give us this We're thankful, but we're happy to go back to normal the next week. So, Max, I had someone, a regular listener of our show, like an amazing supporter, someone we love, Julia Parator. Hey, babe, what's up? She said to me that she's much like you, never really watched SVU. And now that you've had like a year to really dig in, I want to know, outside of this episode, which speaks perfectly to your interests and tone, What episodes do you think that like someone like Julia should watch who's never seen not just like, you know, the guest big guest starring roles? I always say head is a great episode because I just think it's so like that's a wild goose chase. And then it just gets even wilder and you do get a little bit of law and a little bit of the order. But 
what do you think about like what what are some of your other top episodes you've watched i mean the one that comes to mind is it's in the third season and we can hear i'll look it up real quick while i'm just i'm looking because it's where the male stripper is raped by the three women oh we did that episode it's called we did that episode it's called ridicule yes that one i thought was it's from the it's one an earlier season i think it's season 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 three episode 10 it's so good there's also one oh i mean i i love when they do like the reoccur i mean clearly the i yeah, love like the, the narratives that like well i do i love when they kind of do because we've been with these characters so long when they give us a taste of their personal life like i love amanda's virginia madsen as her mother her terrible sister her babies her love of sex her all of her home life that they, they give us i love that i love when we get the nitty-gritty which really i don't think any other law and order show has ever done as much i mean none of them have been as on as long as the personal episodes Do i mean you think it's like so reasonable that i'm absolutely feral for rafael barba no we've we've both discussed his 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 magnetism both as a person and his sexuality and i completely agree fascinating like it's like so he's so hunky to me for like but like and that's the thing it's why the harvard guys get laid you gotta be careful because because the intelligence shines through and the he's very he's kind of got like an odd hannibal lecter thing not the killing he does no it's like this like yeah sick mentality very tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-cheek and, you know, he'll often show heart, even though he plays kind of a, you know, a very, uh, I'm very intelligent and fast talker. He, he'll have episodes of heart. Yeah, I'm obsessed with him. Well, Max, Honey. I want to I wanna put a fork in it here. We've been recording and we were like having a little techie <laughs> diffies. So I've had you from the, I've had you for a while here. Babe, thank you so much for being here. Um, do you want to plug anything and everything where people can find you? Any work that you want them to find? Like maybe leading them to your socials. We'll have them follow you and find more stuff. Let me know. Please, please come enjoy. Listen, I constantly do what I call quote unquote art homage gets both in spoken word and in comedy. And you can find those at, at Max Wyeth, M-A-X-W-Y-E-T-H on the talk and the gram. And, you know, just, you know, there's a lot of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis homage. There's a lot of my grandmother, Tita, who's 95 and kicking it. We love there. Tita. Happy birthday, we love. Tita. Thank you, darling. She's. We can't wait to honor her the entire month of October. There's a lot of that. So just just come and sit a spell. Come and enjoy or not enjoy. Do you call it Teetober? Teetober. I love Teetober. We've decided because Her-up I'm going, Tita? going to be, Honey, we're taking her to a witch's tea on Halloween. Oh, please. That's perfect. She deserves it. I've never met anyone. And by the way, I've never met her, but I've never met anyone who deserves it more. (laughs) Listen, my favorite thing about Tita, there's many, is that now at her age at 95, she talks about everything in terms of presidents. So she'll say something like, oh, I remember 3D movies. They came out when Eisenhower was in office. And that's the mid 50s. By the way, if you think we're not there... Because, like, we are there. We're already there if it's, like, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, Trump years. Oh, like, oh, come honey, on. I talk in ter- well, my thing is, you know, because I, I've supported Tipper Gore since the mid-90s when I was a child. I go by vice president's wives. Oh, honey, this is why you're so, this is why you're so special. You're exactly right. Are you a Jill Biden stan? 
oh, she's fine. Uh, but I look at Tipper Gore, like literally when someone will talk about global warming, I go, well, if only we had listened to Tipper Gore's ex-husband, Al Gore. That's how much of a of a Tipper Gore fan I am. Yeah, you really you were talking about Tipper the other day too. I love you. <laughs> you guys, please go follow Max. I'm going to link all of his social media in the description. Also, is it safe to say that when you watch Kiki Palmer's sketch videos, you are on Instagram, you are also supporting Max Wyeth? Yeah, we co-write a lot of them. I'm lucky enough to get to be her creative partner in digital. And we we co-write a lot. I mean, a lot are, orig are her originals, but if you enjoy a Southern Bella insult, she and I co-write those together, and I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful for you. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Max, you're the best, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Adore you, Kukuro. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.